Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 227. I am Peter and joining me, unfortunately, still on his own is Connor. Yep, I'm still here. Just, I feel like despair. You saying I'm still it. here just, just fills me with this existential kind of dread. Like, the universe is a cold and empty place and nothing's ever going to go our way. And we should just I agree. And expect our demise. That's why Abafeldi will fix that for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you couldn't even mute the mic while you were... Nah. Just, okay, Carl's just handling booze. That's how we're starting the show. It's a DC Comics podcast. We talk about DC Comics every week, and coming up on this week's show, we'll be discussing Justice League 56, which was actually from last week, but uh, catching up on that first. We also have Dark Knight's Death Metal Infinite Hour Extreme Issue 1, plus we got Punchline Issue 1 Special, and we got Superman 27, Wonder Woman 766, The Flash 765, Hawkman 29, and I have one Patreon book as well, and American Vampire 13, so... That is what's coming up on this week's show. But of course, also, it's Solicits Week. As we've been saying, though, since last month's Solicits, it's probably pretty boring Solicits. However, I I have not looked at them at all. So if there's any surprises, then... There's one or two things of... No, I had a skim tour on the other day. Um, I mean, yesterday. There is... Was only yesterday. Jesus Christ, this week has been so long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then yes, I looked through them yesterday. Uh, one or two things of note, I guess. Yeah, uh, because I'm just kind of expecting issue twos, or in some cases issue threes and fours of things that they announced last time, but uh, we'll see. Uh, a couple of little news tidbits to go on to the back of that as well, so uh, without further ado, I think we'll just dive straight into the solicits this this week, um, get go- going through them. Um, and for some reason, just like last month, they're all split into various families of books for whatever reason. Uh, we'll start off with the Batman family of books. And uh, we'll get going with this. Um, so, Future State, the next Batman, issue three. Uh, yep. As we'd expect, same with issue four. Not really much to say. Um, and it's kind of what we expected in that these stories, there's the main story that's in all four issues, but then the two backups, issue one and three has parts one and two of those. Issue three and four, or issue two and four has parts one and two of the other couple. It's pretty much sense. just a, a direct continuation of what we had last yes. month for those yes. issues. So, honestly, this may be a relatively boring solicitor's talk. This might just be me listing the books again, but... There's, there's a few little things here or there sprinkled throughout. Well, Future State, Batman Superman issue 2. Uh, that's the Gene Lane Yang book. And then we have Catwoman, or sorry, Future State, Catwoman issue... Okay, look, I'm just... For reference, everything from this point forward, unless I say otherwise, has the word Future State... <laughs> At the start of the title. Say, not even unless, until you say otherwise. Because there is a tell, section yes. at, uh, at the end. Oh, sure, the yes. State stuff. When we get out of the future states stuff, sure, obviously it changes. But until I say otherwise, yes, everything has future state at the start of the title. Uh, Scatwoman issue two, that's round V uh, on that. We got future state dark detective issue three and issue four. Uh, the main story in that being by Tamaki. I'm just sort of right. saying the main story to remind everyone what each one of these is. Yeah, yeah. I like how like at the end of the, the last book there with Catwoman, you were like, I'm not going to say Future State in front of every single one. And then immediately on that one, you went Future State Dark Detective. Okay, well, in my defense, it's because Catwoman's already just a book title, whereas Dark Detective's unique to this thing. So, <laughs> look, the Future State may be said intermittently, 
if my tongue just happens to go there, but sometimes I might not. So therefore, just roll with the punches, basically. Uh, and then we got Harley Quinn issue two. Uh, that's Stephanie Phillips writing that one. Uh, Nightwing issue two. Andrew Constant writing that one. Robin Eternal issue two. I don't even remember this one. <laughs> okay, Robin Eternal. I think with by uh, Megan Fritz Martin. And that's the Bat Books. Well, that was yeah. quick. Oh, so before be... you move on, like, uh, Newsarama did a little, like, here's the bullet points at the top of interesting highlights in case you don't want to read through the text of all of those solicits, which mm-hmm. I get why you wouldn't. And there's one thing that I, I don't know if they know something that we don't and maybe we've missed. Because uh, in one of their points, they say, in his concluding solo title, Nightwing teams with the next Bat. And I'm like, now I know this is only a two-issue thing and technically yes this is concluding because it won't be future state nightwing or whatever they called it after this yeah, but i'm assuming the nightwing book itself wasn't cancelled was it i, that I we... don't i don't think it is i think this is just their phrasing that maybe you're reading into a little bit much oh maybe it was just they literally said in his concluding solo title that yeah was, that, that's i don't know it's just the phrasing they want to use to make it sound different at the start of the sentence. It's just in his concluding solo title, meaning his future state book. Maybe, but I, I felt like they, could, they should have worded that better. I don't think there's anything wrong with that sentence. I think this is you reading into it too much. Now, and even if like we come back after future state and Nightwing's been cancelled, I still don't think this was them knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, no. So... Uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, also, Tim Drake's dying, apparently. <laughs> I just, I just yeah, read that at the end of it. <laughs> uh, Onomatopoeia from Kevin Smith's uh, Green Arrow oh. stuff is showing up in Catwoman, I think, which should be fun. He's a fun villain. Yeah, don't worry. I'm sure it's not going to stick for anyone who's panicking. Uh... Yes, yes. I'm sure everything that matters in this crazy alternate future matters so much. See, these are Amish setting structures better than yours. You use use the everything that matters in this future matters so much. That's a, that's pure English. All right, uh, moving on to the Superman. I said everything that happens in this future. I'm sure you said matters. Uh, no instant replays. We don't do rewinds to find out who was right here. We just assume I'm right and move on. Uh, but I'm sure you said matters. The, the, the comments will, will prove me right. I'm sure. All right, so Superman books. We got Superman House of L issue wait one. Yeah, this is a new one, and oh. it's Old Man Superman. Oh, so that's just a one-shot, I assume, then. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah this is oversized, $6 for eight pages. Yeah, fair enough. This is Philip Kennedy Johnson writing with Scott Goodlusky on the art. Yeah, and it's set centuries in the future. Okay, okay. Uh, interesting, interesting. Uh, we got Immortal Wonder Woman issue two. Was the Wonder Woman book in the Superman family last time? It was either in the Superman family or it was in the Justice League family. I can't remember. I would expect it to be in the Justice League family, but uh, I'm more critiquing the solicitous uh, presentation by Newsarama slash DC here than I am the books themselves, admittedly, at this point. But uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure this was the way they were given to Newsarama from DC. They were given them mm-hmm. section by section because uh, these were released steadily throughout the day. And then here's the quote-unquote full solicits at the end, which is kind of normal. Uh from what we see with, with DC solicits anyway. It's just that Newsarama decided to be lazy these last couple of months and not actually compile them into a full solicits at the end, like they usually do. 
So yeah, Mark Wonder Woman issue two. This is the uh, uh, the, the, the Michael Conrad Becky Clunan story. Yes, this well, is the one with one anyway. Diana still. Yes, and then we got Kara Zor-El Superwoman issue two. Uh, this is Margaret Bennett. Um, very intrigued by that one. Uh, Legion of Superheroes issue two. That's the Bendis and Rosmo, <laughs> which I've got a sneaking suspicion that Connor may have to end up reading. Just, just a, a hunch. And 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 ill those months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got Superman of Metropolis issue two. Uh, main story by Sean Lewis. Uh, and then some other ones as well. So again, it's one of these oversized ones with the backups. And we got Superman vs. Imperious Lex, issue 2. This is the Mark Russell one. So that's wrapping... Oh, sorry, and issue 3. So that is wrapping yes. up. Although issue 3 is coming out in March, I believe. Yes, yes. Uh, the end of March, in fact. So that's interesting. There's one or two books that are going to sprinkle into, uh, into March. Yeah, I could be wrong. I believe this is the only one that we know of. Um, but... Yeah, it is interesting that it's just this weird holdover book. I wonder if it's just... It, it just they, they couldn't get them done in time, so the third one just has to be later. They just have Probably. to deal with it. That might be the, the reason. Or there could be a story, and maybe it'll tie into something that's going to happen in one of the main books. You know, some sort of multiversal yeah. shenanigans or something. And then we got Superman Worlds of War issue 2. Uh, that's the Philip Keddie Johnson main story. Uh, Superman, War World, all that stuff. Then we got Superman Wonder Woman issue 2. Uh, that's the Dan Waters written book. Uh, we got Wonder Woman issue 2. This is the new Wonder Woman, of course. This is the J.L. Jones one. And that wraps up the Superman family. Uh, I, I guess because Superman Wonder Woman exists, they wanted to put the Wonder Woman books with Superman. I guess once you have to include that one in the Superman family, you might as well throw the other one in. There's the Justice League hanging a little bit, but... Yeah, but they've got like Green Lanterns and Flashes and whatever else that it's got. Well, Aquaman to begin with. Aquaman issue two. Well, Brandon Thomas writing. Then Flash issue two. Uh, Brandon Vietti writing. Then Green Lantern issue two, which is uh, Jeffrey Thorne, the main story. That's the uh, the anthology treatment now. And then Justice League issue two. Joshua Wilson won the main story. Again, backups like the previous month. And I am going through these quickly. The reason why I'm going through these quickly, again, just in case anyone's wondering why I'm speeding through these without mentioning them. Uh, artists is because we it's all the same teams from the last month it's just the same thing again it's, it's not that interesting no uh shazam issue two this is the tim sheridan written story and then suicide squad issue two is uh robbie thompson on the main story with jeremy adams on the black adam backup uh swamp thing issue two is next ram v mick perkins kind of looking Exciting forward to that stuff. yeah, yeah. Teen Titans issue 2, Tim Sheridan, and that wraps up the Justice League. And to be honest, Justice League might as well just be named Rest of the DC year. Yeah. Is that, because Swamp Thing and Teen Titans, I I wouldn't really consider, or even Suicide Squad, now that I'm scrolling up to see more of them. Like, the first batch of them, sure, those are Justice League characters. The last half of them, they're just other yeah, DC characters. Yeah, I mean... Teen Titans, you can maybe make an argument that they're in place of Young Justice. They're the, they're the younger Justice League right now. And I'm like, okay, sure, I can maybe buy that argument. Mm. The others are definitely a stretch. Although I guess Swamp Thing is on Justice League Dark. So, I mean, uh, who knows? This is, this is a stretch, stretch. Uh, but then we get to the non-Future State stuff. So we're into just whatever else happens to be coming out. Black Label stuff, a couple of other random things. So let's work through these. Arguably, maybe the most interesting stuff this, this solicits, just because it's still... It's not the predictable to the same extent yeah. as the Future State wrap-ups. 
So first up, we have uh, one of these big 80-page one-shots. Uh, I mean, it is February. They love to do a, a Valentine's, you know, love-themed special anthology. So this is no different this year. We got DC Love is a Battlefield issue one uh, with stories by Kevin Scott, Andrew Wheeler, Crystal Fraser, um, and Regine Sawyer. And I have to admit, I don't think I know any of those writers. I know Kevin Scott. Um pretty sure i do anyway if it's who i'm thinking of uh does i think if it's the person i'm thinking of does a lot of uh like young adult star wars stuff uh and i think he's working on the new high republic stuff as well and might actually be writing the main high republic comic for marvel that's starting in like january um if i'm if i'm thinking of the right person i think i, I, think I am um uh, but that's the only one i am familiar with yeah, I mean, we typically skip these just because they tend to be these big books that are fairly irrelevant, and they te- and if they're on a quiet week, sure, we may have a look at them, but for the most part, they end up being on a week with those 10 other books, and it's like, well, the 80-page thing that's not in continuity can probably just stay over there and <laughs> be its own thing. Um, so, but more interesting, though, I think, is Generations Forged issue one. And this is an 80-page one-shot. But unlike that, this seems a lot more uh, relevant to our interests. Yeah, so, obviously we had Generations Shattered, I believe it was, yes. uh, in, in January. So yeah, this would kind of be the... I mean, it says Forged, but I would argue maybe Reforging is perhaps a better uh, descriptor, given that the previous one's called Shattered. Um, so we've got stories in here by Dan Jurgens, Andy Schmidt, and Robert Vendetti. Art by Brian Hitch, Mike Perkins, Bernard Chang, Paul Pelletier, and others. So I imagine they're just maybe, they've not finalized everyone yet. So I'll read the description for this one, though, because this obviously is very intriguing, given what this is. Dispersed through time by the villain Dominus, a ragtag team of generational heroes featuring 1939 Batman, Commande, Superboy, Steel, Starfire, Sinestro, Booster Gold, and Dr. Light must find a way to restore the timeline. And what they ultimately discover is something far, far greater. You have to read it to believe as, as time dies and generations rise. So, yeah, obviously, unlike the, you know, the random love anthology, this is a bit more uh, pertinent to our interests as far as the DC universe is concerned. So this is definitely something we'll be looking at. Yeah, and I'm, I'll fill in for Matt a little bit here in that uh, Dominus, as a villain, exists in DC history already. I'm not uh, surprised. The, uh, it, well, no, interestingly, though, is the... The, the main villain of a story arc from the late 90s called The Dominus Effect in Superman, written by Dan Jurgens. And it was about mm. uh, like the breaking of some realities and multiple Supermen. Interesting, interesting. Um, I'm very... Tr- I mean, this might end up just being like a standalone thing to sort of pull in some of those generation ideas they had and just put them as a couple of big one-shots. And that may be all it is. And that's fine. Yeah, and it's weird because where was it we got the first Generations tease recently? It was in one of the anthologies recently, right? Yeah, it said uh, to be continued in Generations Future State. Yes, which DC have now confirmed they are just completely separate things. That there is no gonna, there isn't going to be a Generations Future State. Uh, it will just be continued in these Generations one shots, um, which I don't think is a problem in and of itself. It's just kind of weird that they seem to be connected at some point and then they change their minds and now they're not connected. That's just it feels messy. Right. <laughs> it, it does. So have had that in a published comic means that it was clearly the plan at some point, fairly late along the way, right? I mean, maybe they looked at it and went, you know what? 
the, the the connection between these two things is fairly tangential at best. Maybe we should maybe it would be actually better for both just to say no, clean break. This is this thing. This is that thing. Move on. Quite possibly. So it may be a good creative choice ultimately, but it does feel messy in the run up to it. We'll just have to see how it turns out to have any sort of proper imp- opinion. Mm. Uh, also, kind of interesting here is we get Man Bat issue one. Uh, so. You might remember there was a five-issue Man Bat series uh, that was supposed to come out last summer, something like that. It was it was solicited before the break, from what I recall. We had like the first yeah. one yeah, or two issues solicited, maybe three. When I say last summer, I mean this past summer. I don't mean yeah, so much it's gone. Yeah, I realized last summer kind of sounded like I meant last year. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of got taken off the solicits, and it was one of those things where there were kind of like taken a lot of things off the schedule to like minimize it during the uh you know the, the first sort of lockdown and pandemic and everything was sort of dying down for a bit this was one of the casualties um and we didn't really know if it was ever going to pop back up again but yeah the five issue man bat miniseries by dave uh Wheelgoz and sumit kumar um now admittedly i don't remember if those were the same creative names from the first time you know just from I, memory i think they are uh kumar definitely sounds familiar to me yeah I would. I, I mean, I assume they probably are, but if they, if anything has changed here in terms of creative, uh, feel free to let us know. But yeah, so it's nice to see you back. I was always intrigued by the idea of a man bat mini. So yeah, we were all very open to this, right? Uh, and and honestly, the fact that it actually says resolicit in the in the information here mm-hmm. tells me it must be the same team. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because uh, it will be the exact same information. Uh, so I mean, it's kind of. Not excited to talk about it in that sense, though. There's no new information here, but it's finally coming out. It's because uh, it was officially put on indefinite hold uh, when it when they were asked about it after everything came back, and it was just missing from like the next two or three months of solicits. Uh, so nice to know we're finally going to see it. Uh, I'm assuming it's all finished as well, so there won't be any delays. Ah, uh, yeah, very possibly. Uh, next up, uh, here is something else. We got Truth and Justice issue one. This is a digital first book, but it is a 40-page, $5 digital first book. That's interesting. I'm assuming, I could be wrong here, I'm assuming this is just the collection of the, I don't know, four or five chapters, whatever it's going to be digitally. Yeah, you may be right here. This is uh, Jeffrey Thorne writing with art by Criss Cross and Jordi uh, Tarragona, Uh, and it's a Vixen story, so... Uh, Yeah, a Vixen team-up, I believe, um... It's kind of the, the premise. So, ah, uh, very interesting. And that's kind of it for the, the ish. Actually, where's the Black Label stuff? Is that just further down? Yeah, it'll, be f- it'll be further down, yeah. Okay, there's a bunch of trades. Yada, yada. Uh, here we go. American Vampire 1976 issue 5. Uh, no surprise there. Batman Black and White issue 3. I have to admit, I'd forgotten they were doing this again. <laughs> it's because we've not had any of the issues yet. So it's like, for the first three issues when they're solicited, I keep forgetting sometimes what's I do that out. with a lot of books. Once I've read one, it's like, okay, this exists, it's in my brain, yeah. it's cemented, I know I'm, where it I'm is. I'm still looking forward to this, because uh, there's a lot of high-profile creative teams. Oh yeah, you got uh, Evely in there, Tassili, uh, yeah, so that's an you interesting got, uh, match. John Ridley doing a story with uh, Koi Pell again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, hard to complain about any of the people on this book. Uh, Bengal, who I'm a big fan of. So, yeah, very, very intriguing. Uh, you got White Knight Presents Harley Quinn issue 5, so that's still ticking. Uh, Batman Catwoman issue 3, of course, that's, again, I mean, I, obviously this one's a bit more cemented in my head because it, we've been waiting on it for 
forever. So, it's, it's kind of become a bit infamous. But uh, yeah, so that's your three that's coming out in uh, February. Uh, I am looking forward. I'm looking forward to seeing how the you know, the, the phantasm stuff uh, get, gets put in there. I'm I'm more intrigued than I am excited. I'll be honest. That's fine. That's fine. There has to be a bad cop. You can be bad cop. Uh, Dreaming Waking Hours issue seven. And uh, we got Far Sector issue ten. That book is taking so long <laughs> to get it finished. Frankly, that'll be the real reason why you haven't had uh, more Naomi solicited yet. Because I couldn't find wrong, Bendis did too, was waiting until uh, yeah, Campbell yeah. was free. So after this book, I imagine that'll be his next project. You would hope so. If, if there's like another many before that, like, oh my god, like the wait I, between I mean, Naomi uh, seasons is ridiculous. I, I hope so for your sake as well, frankly. Because oh dear. I, I, I get it. I get the, the, the frustration with those weights. But at the same time, I'm actually liking Farsector, so I'm quite happy that they're letting him just do his thing and hey, if it takes time, it takes time. Get it done. Yeah, Green Lantern Season 2, Issue 11 is out, which is not a black label book. It's just bundled with them because there's nowhere else to put it in this month's list. Uh, uh, Rorschach, Issue 5, that's still going. Uh, good stuff. I like the cover of that one, actually. Rorschach in the Rain. Pretty. Yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous cover. Um, both covers are really nice, actually, to be honest. Yeah, the other one's very minimalistic. It's it's basically your kind of Apocalypse Now cover, but just about the silhouette of uh, a giant Manhattan walking past yeah, the sun. Yeah, that's the, the regular cover, actually, that one that you talked about. The, the more watch-many cover is the variant. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, I think for the most part, if they've got both, typically they show the variant first on these solicits. That's pretty much just the standard thing. Yeah, it's a weird choice. Uh, you got your other random things like Scooby Doo, but are you 108? Uh, Sweet Tooth, the return issue four. Uh, and then we're into some more trades and hardcovers. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit disappointed that the first one here is a death metal deluxe edition. Uh, the disappointing thing is it is literally just death metal one to seven, doesn't include even mm-hmm. like the, the multiverse end one shot, nothing. That's a wait for an omnibus, I'd say. Unless you haven't read it and you just wait for trades to read things and you're going to pick up all the books, then fair enough. But I think if you're waiting for the ultimate collection, you're going to have to wait for the omnibus at some point. does seem that way. And it's a shame, because if it had been just a regular hardcover, I could have gone, okay, but this is a deluxe oversized one. Now, I've not been paying attention to the regular trades in a while, so I could be wrong here, but Batgirl Volume 8, the Joker War hardcover... um, which is 45 to 50, which, to be honest, is kind of a weird collection because I don't know if even all of that was Joker War related all in the last couple, but it's it's a hardcover. I, for some reason, I didn't think that was releasing in hardcover first, and I, but I could be completely wrong there. Maybe they've all been releasing it, hardcover first, but... It wasn't at the start of Rebirth, I can tell you that, because I picked up a couple in paperback. Really, there you go. So that's uh, an annoying choice, my consistency. But I mean, if you've been collecting the paperbacks and you want the paperback to... You know, have a matching set. You're waiting an extra six or months or whatever after that comes out to get that. That's that kind of sucks. Uh, I guess it's all the Joker War books. Yeah, they're all hardcovers. Nightwings is a hardcover. Detective uh, Comics is a hardcover. That's shitty. Yeah, I mean, Detective Comics is probably hardcover anyway. Let's be honest. But Nightwing. Mm, Actually, no. I don't, not now that I'm thinking about it, all the Rebirth books were all paperback first. The only Following? exceptions, yeah, the only exceptions were when did like a crossover. So I think like Justice League versus Suicide Squad was hardcover, but everything was everything was paperback first, and then the deluxe hardcovers like you know a year later. Yeah, I've got some of the deluxe hardcovers. Yeah. I kind of waited on those because no, I, 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 I tend to not buy a lot of paperbacks anymore. 
I think, like, Bendis' Superman changed it, and that was hardcover first, but I don't know if anything else changed along the way, but it was definitely guess, all paperback first. I, don't, I guess I don't mind it as much if it changed when it was, okay, our new team's taking over, so we're switching to hardcover first. It's a little bit frustrating if you don't care and you just want to mm. keep collecting, don't get me wrong, that is frustrating, but at least there's a, a reason, and a lot of the times they actually renumber those anyway. I'm surprised they didn't with Batgirl, to be honest. But... It's because all the runs were too short after the first one. None of them lasted long enough to feel like, oh, we can actually renumber this as a new series kind of thing. That's true. Because yeah. ultimately they all ended up being about two trades worth each. Which is a yeah, shame. I think the first one was only about three. Uh, it was like issues, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. It was... No, it went up to like 25, I think. Because I think the new writer took over at 25, if I remember right. Oh, maybe then. Maybe I'm misremembering. So maybe 24, maybe it stopped. Maybe Hope Larson stopped an issue before. Yeah. Um, which would typically be four trades. Unless, would, they had, yes. unless they had like a weird, you know, issue count in some of them. Uh, but yeah, that's basically it. Um, there's, a flash, yeah, just... there's a flashpoint omnibus coming, if anyone wants to get the whole shebang of that. Is it really the whole shebang shebang? Yeah, I haven't looked at that one. I mean, I, I'm a, I mean, it looks like it's all the minis, just from glancing at it. I, don't, I mean, I haven't read through it to double-check from a, yeah. a list, but... I'm, uh, I'm just scanning them. The deceased um, trade. the Because uh, obviously, I think they, they must have come out hardcover, um, but the, the paperback. <laughs> uh, it does include a, the Good Day to Die one-shot as well, which mm. I appreciate. Cause, that's, that's good. I mean, there's nowhere else to collect it, but at the same time, it feels like... It's it's less essential, right? Um, what's interesting is that that Flashpoint Omnibus is another one of their 1,500-page books, and it's just a little bit too thick. And I, I, I get that it's annoying having to either put two smaller books in a slipcase or release it as two parts, which is especially in an event like that where it doesn't really feel like it's the natural splitting point for the two of them. It's, but, yeah, where do you split that? And then you've got people kind of going, like, oh, I want to read the whole story in one thing and you know, uh, got to wait a year for the next volume. Yeah, what they really should do is do the Dark Tower thing that Marvel did where they just put two reasonably sized omnibus in a slipcover and sell it as a thing. Uh, and DC have done slipcover books before like that. Yeah, uh, that's really what they should do. Because uh, I, I had one or two, I, I think it was John's East Teen Titans one that I never got around to reading before I sold my physical books off, but um, like, it, it was like a it was unbelievably wieldy. I loved that omnibus, but some of them were just a little bit too thick. Uh, okay, that's pretty much the solicits. Yeah, there's some more trades and stuff, but I don't think there's anything really else of interest. I'm just scanning just to see if anything jumps out, but I don't think so. Nah. No, I think we're good. Who's who? Omnibus Volume One. I don't even know what that is supposed to be. Or do I? It's thirteen hundred. The, the, the series fans demanded is collected at last. <laughs> uh, the definitive directory of the DC Universe Volume One. I mean, it's not the, the actual cover of the omnibus, but I assume this is a cover from the original run. It uh, looks like a a nice contents page, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I'm assuming this is some kind of like a each character gets a page with some backstory. It's more of an encyclopedia than it is. Traditional comic book, right? That's a lot of pages though for something like that. <laughs> so it is because that was twenty six issues, and then it's got material from a whole bunch of other bits and pieces as well. Is, it, is this just a thirteen hundred page secret files? I think sort of it kind of is. Yeah, all right, okay. interesting. 
some long-term fans can uh, fill us in. Um, so we got some other uh, news to sort of mention. One, one of the, these, you know, it's kind of big and it kind of isn't at the same time. It's big that we have a new editor-in-chief. But it's not super exciting in the sense that it's just one of the two people who were acting editor-in-chief for the last few months. It's not some, you know, it's just not like they've got some new hotshot name that we've not heard until now. Yeah, I think the the most interesting part of that announcement is that she is going to be reporting directly to, oh, I can't remember the name, the new general manager that they hired mm. in the last couple of months, not Jim Lee. So Jim Lee is essentially cut out of that editorial loop now. Um, which might have its own ramifications going forward. It's hard to say if that's good or bad. On the one hand, like maybe lightening his load a little bit may actually be good for the other stuff that he has to do. Because Jim Lee's main role now, it, as I think so, because he's kind of took over Johnsy's role, which is to kind of be the, the, the glue between DC Comics as itself as a comic publisher and then the movie side of things, the TV side of things, like all the other cross-promotion and- things and... I think uh, one of the unspoken things of his role that has become more and more true as the years have gone on is mm. the public face as well. Uh, he mm. is very much who most people associate as, not necessarily the head of DC, but he's the one that you know, you look to with questions uh, from a public uh, you know perspective. He's the one who comes out and talks, yeah. It's worth mentioning, though, the editor-in-chief, like, that was... This is not what... Him and Diddy were they? They were the publishers. Editor in chief was uh, Bob Harassi's uh, role. So yes, but the their chain, you know, so Bob yes. Harassi went to the the publishers essentially. So they had like this this relationship where they could kind of, you know, veto ideas and such. Whereas that won't be the case. Jim Lee will have essentially less power now uh, in terms of the comic book publishing, which might be bad if you like his work on that. But like I say, you know, it might be good in terms of. It'll give him a chance to focus on his other side of his yeah, roles. I don't like. I don't have any ill will towards Jim Lee, but I have to say that having no one who was in power for the New Fifty Two and the new kind of structure is actually kind of appealing. I mean, it may actually end up being terrible and worse than anything we've ever had before. But there's the potential that this is actually a nice, fresh break and new, new, new creative minds driving in as new directions that may actually end up being more focused. Now, admittedly, if the corporate side of things keeps kind of, like, tinkering and interfering and saying, don't do that, do this, don't do that, then it may not make a difference anyway, but there's yeah, a potential, at least. On the same day that this was announced, something like another 15 layoffs also happened in the editorial staff. Okay, I, um, yeah, I think that's just that, an unfortunate side effect of all the restructuring going on. It is, it is. Um, but again, it seems to be targeting those higher up on the chain, the ones who cost more, essentially. Um, the downside to that is we're, we're losing a lot of experienced people um, mm. on that side, and that that might have concerning ramifications down the line. It's not like an immediate, oh no, everything's going to implode. More just they're gonna, you know, they have their own connections, they have their own things that they bring, you know, that they know everyone. And I mean, you, you could argue we're maybe even seeing some of that with the Jeff Johns news this week, which is him I've and got, Gary. I've, I've, got, I've got it. I've got it separately. Okay, I just I think it ties into this particular story though, in that their new creator-owned book is no longer a DC published book like it was originally announced that it was going to be. It was going to be under Johns's Killing Zone. I want to say it was called imprint that he was going to be doing. Uh, that was kind of announced before Black Label kind of just swallowed everything. Um, and now 
you know, now it's not. And I, I do wonder if part of that is, you know, the editors that he wanted to be working with and such aren't there anymore. Maybe. Honestly, that's been so, like, long coming. I have no idea if it even has anything to do with what's going on right now. It may be something that's been bubbling there for a long time as far as John's relationship with DC goes. Are you, and not even just his relationship with DC. Like, that sounds like it maybe is strained. And I don't know if it is. Maybe it is. But I think it's more to do with, like, the idea of DC doing more little imprints and stuff like that. I don't know if... I don't know if they're that interested in doing that and have been for a while. Um... Yeah, it's it's interesting. Cause obviously, they did Hill House not that long ago. That seemed to it definitely was critically very well received. I don't know how well it sold. It seemed reasonable enough, but maybe they're just not interested in it, it anymore. It depends what you define as reasonable. But the point the point is though is that so many people have changed the positions yeah. uh, since that was greenlit. That yeah, I'm not so sure uh, that it, there is any interest in doing more imprinty things like that. Um, it makes me kind of pessimistic as to getting like you know new Hill House books at some point. You know, a second wave of it's, books. It's a weird one because I don't want to be too worried that we haven't been hearing announcements because we were flat out told we won't an- even announce them until the whole book is finished and ready to publish because we don't want to worry about any delays. So it's the sort of thing where I was expecting a long wait before hearing about any anyway. Yeah, but then they, may, then they may just never be announced and we'll just forget they ever said that. That's very true. Yep. Could, could uh, absolutely happen. So, now, um, someone's got a position, at least. That makes it feel a bit more structured. Real. We'll, we'll see if it actually uh, results in any sort of notable change or we, we feel an impact in, in the books. Um, it's been kind of up in the air for the last few months, though. So, if there's even just a sense of direction or a sense of a steady in hand, and I wouldn't, you wouldn't feel it immediately. It'll take a couple of months for it to start to feel like it's there. But if that does sort of come to fruition, then uh, we'll maybe feel a bit of a stabilizing happening. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. there's there's all sorts of rumors flying around right now that I don't want to give too much credence to. Um, you know, so many going around. You know, about March and stuff in in specific that. There's just no point. We'll have to wait and see what, what actually happens in, in the solicits come March. I'll just say I think most of them are nonsense. And... I, I do as well, which is why I'm not even you know bringing them up for proper discussion. Um, So that is that. Uh, and that's basically it. You had a couple of delays you wanted to mention. Yeah, one is the obligatory amethyst uh, delayed again. Um. Uh, I don't know how much longer this is because the Newsarama is terrible for mine. Like you pointed out last time, it's now twelve weeks uh, from the original date. Uh, it's now December fifteenth. So that's, that's only one week more. I don't think that's yeah. It's only one or two. It was definitely December last time, so it's only one or two weeks more than than whatever it was. The other one is maybe a little bit more interesting, especially given some other rumors that came out later in the week. Because this came out uh, five days ago now, as we're recording this this news story, in that. The Wonder Woman 1984 variants are no longer coming out in December. It, you know they were always meant to come out to time with the film. They kept delaying them to time with the film, and now they're coming out. Um, they haven't even—I don't think they've give, said exactly when. Just sometime in 2021, and they're saying it's to tie in with Wonder Woman's 80th anniversary year, which is next year. But you can't help but wonder: is this a sign that the film's going to slip? And they—but they, they have to tell retailers. About these covers in a you know with us within a certain amount of time frame, 
because um, obviously when the orders happen. Uh, and then there was rumors later in the week that the movie might either still come out in December for Christmas Day as it was planned and then go to HBO Max in January, or it was going to look at delaying to spring or summer and do a proper theatrical release then. So I don't know. This kind of just is interesting that maybe maybe they are looking at delaying it again. Oh, that is interesting at all. Uh, delays to the movie at this point are non-news. If anything, I mean, the news is when we go by a week and there's not a delay. That's that's fair. I can't really argue with that. Um, uh, but I, I think it was more interesting that this was the way that sparked the, well, maybe there's a delay coming again, rather than anything from the movie side of things. I don't, think they, I don't think they call some earth any sort of... Honestly, if anything to me, all this says is that they've given up trying to line it up and they're just going to use this other anniversary as an excuse to like just have a concrete date for them that Maybe, won't change. Yeah. Um, although, I would expect... I mean, if anything, if they're going to do a big 80-page, 100-page you know, Wonder Woman special to celebrate the 80th, then just make them all variants for that. Just They're all just variants for that special. All variants for that special. Yes. Jesus, they've got so many var- variants already for this. There's probably like 20-odd of them. Just, just do that. There you go. You don't even, you just do that, and then get uh, uh, Nicholas Scott in to do a lineup. One. Oh, Charlie did it for the Wonder she Woman. Sure did. Yeah. Well, she could do it. Maybe she could do it for like the villains or something. She could put in like Cheetah through the years for the <laughs> for the 80th anniversary special. Giving that poor woman more work to do. She, she's very good at it. <laughs> she is very good. I, I agree. I did quite enjoy the Nightwing one as well that she did. She's uh this is this is her thing now. She she does these lineup covers for these specials. It's, it is kind of funny how they started as like a, a store exclusive cover. Um, I think the first one was like for some Australian store, and then now they're just like, no, they're they're a thing that she does on all of these specials now. That are like the the full blown that anyone can get. Hmm. Now we just need to get her on the uh the uh what what do we call them? Cold Snap special. I need to see Cold Snap throughout the years. He must be hitting like 30 years by now, I don't know. I mean, he probably is, but he must only have a, a, at most two different looks. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm doing some valuable research. <laughs> You're googling Cold Snap. I want to know when he was invented. Oh, God. He debuted in... Batman, or just the Outsiders? Issue 9? When was that? First appearance. Suicide, no, it's actually it's a Suicide issue. Okay, the Google result lied to me, but DC Wiki's got my back. Suicide Squad, Volume 4, Issue 30, which was 2014. Was that it? He's only six years old. <laughs> so when I saw him in Justice League, he was only two years old at that point. He was the hot new thing they were trying to make happen still. Oh, not hot. Let's, let's get the terminology right here. It was very intentional. The cool new thing, I think you'll find, was what they were going for. He, he wishes he was the cool new thing. Uh, cold Snap's only six years old, damn it. He's younger than my cats. Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what is this nonsense? Okay, that's news. We're done. News is finished. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, books. Justice League. Oh yes, thank you for interrupting me. No, there was clearly a bit of a delay going on because it didn't sound like I was interrupting from my end. Justice League 56, Joshua Elmson writing with Robson Rocket on the art. This is a book from last week, of course. Now, I wouldn't necessarily put this first, but it does actually get slightly referenced in the the one shot. Uh, 
that we did this week, so uh, I put it in front of it, just for, you know, neatness sake. Uh, so this is, of course, the next part of the tie-in arc. Uh, the previous issue ended with seemingly all of the members of the, the Titans slash Justice League dying <laughs> in a big blast from the Omega Knight. And then this issue, and I thought it was fine at first because it was like Nightwing was the only survivor and he's kind of like holding, he's like, oh, okay, if you're going to kill me too, just do it. But then like, everyone's just kind of fine as the issue goes on. It's like, oh, they all survived somehow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of underwhelming in that sense. To be fair, I actually think this might be the best issue of the arc, but I am going to criticize that element of it. Hmm. No, I get that. Because uh, I, I, just because I felt like there was more going on uh, or I felt, stuff happened. Yeah, I felt more like it was more culminating in things. I I thought you know the the uh, what do they call the the main hunter, the Martian Manhunter, Batman main hunter. Yes. Just trying to remember his name. Um, you know him trying to kind of like convince Hot Girl to sort of switch sides or help him. Uh, their fight you know looked pretty good in the art. Um, I enjoyed uh you know Detective Chimp riding the invisible horse, like just the image of Nightwing being like dragged in in thin air. It was, it was and- kind of. And now I'm being like, what the hell? It can be invisible? He's like, well, yeah, some shitty detective you are. Yeah, no idea this was Wonder Woman's gift, therefore. And it's not just that the horse itself is invisible, it's got an invisible aura. So if they all stand near it, they're in like an invisible bubble. That's a very important uh, plot device in the issue. But Jean, you know, Martian Manhunter, uh, when Mindhunter's basically saying, ah, you didn't matter to Jean, he cared about his dead wife and kids. You're meaningless to him. I I love his transformation as well, Mindhunters, into the kind of the big vampire bat demon looking mm. thing um love it yes uh very reminiscent of uh the hit film blood vessel i'll tell you word for it it's a shadow exclusive and you can find it on my new solo streams review show which comes out every friday on youtube.com slash mail uh, <laughs> it's coming next week guys <laughs> but seriously there's like a vampire bat thing in it and it's I mean, it's not exactly. It's it's it's, it's more man bias than this dude, but still. Right, but this I, I I couldn't tell you exactly where, but I have seen vampire demons kind of look like this in various media. Uh, Is this the? Because uh, after Hot Girl smacks uh, Main Hunter properly here with the old flaming mace or whatever that is. Um, is this the first proper kiss between Jean and Kendra that we've had? Like, for uh, one, do we have the moment kind of thing? No, I think the, there must have been something in the Justice League run where they were quite clearly a couple for a while. I don't know if it was a, as, uh, you know, visible as this, but I mean, you may be right. Maybe I've just forgotten about I it. Mean, but... I mean, I can't remember a specific example, but because it was after a point, they were obviously such a, a couple. It wasn't like. It wasn't like they were being coy about it with each other. Um, I remember them talking about it. I just don't remember like a romantic kiss like this. But no, uh, yeah, that's fair. Maybe, maybe this is the first. Because uh, it felt like a big deal to me, even if it isn't the first. That you know, the idea that this is like after you know, Main Hunter has been trying to convince her that she doesn't mean anything to him. So it's just kind of a big moment where he kind of makes it makes it clear that he does. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. So the rest of the team kind of like I say, like Starfire and Cyborg and and Lex all survived. It's just. Okay, I guess they did. They're just here, I guess, right? Yeah. It's all a bit underwhelming. However, so they formed this plan, and their plan is essentially, because there's a little bit of doubt from Nightwing. He's like, you know, maybe we should sort of just, like, find the, the chair and the throne and call in the Justice League, because I don't know if we can do it. And they have to give him a bit of a pep talk. 
But I like Lex calling them out, going, "Hey, I thought I was working with the Justice League. I know the Teen Titans would be here, given that it is, you know, yeah, you know, Nightwing, Cyborg, and Starfire at this point." Um, feels like a pretty fair dig from Lex. So they split into two teams. Half of them go after the Omega Knight to distract him. The other half go and try and free the, free the Legion of Doom. The idea being from Lex that if they can free the Legion of Doom, then the Legion of Doom can actually help fight. They can, you know, be on their side and help fight the Omega Knight. Uh, yeah. Which, obviously, very risky for obvious reasons, given who they are, but still not a terrible plan, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, it's at the point where, sure, they're, they're villains, but they have clearly been imprisoned here against their will, so there's a good chance they'll want to fight. Yeah. Um, and the end is kind of, it's basically Detective Chimp's the one who sort of, because they're like, oh, how do we you know, deal with this this uh, this throne, which is basically the big tuning fork style thing, with all the Legion of Doom strapped to it. And he's ba- his, his plan is basically to just sort of say, hey, Omega Knight, you dick, come at me, bro. And <laughs> Omega Knight hits the thing with, the, with his own blast of energy, which destroys it and frees uh, all the team. So the, the cliffhanger page is Cheetah, Sinestro, and Grodd all being like, well, they were coming after you, Nightwing, because we're, we're evil. Yeah, <laughs> and it definitely plays like Chimp sacrificed himself for this. I'm not so sure he has. Well, given the end of the last issue, most of them had died. I'm, I'm not willing right. to believe that he's actually sacrificed himself. Yeah, they did, they did that. You know, he's caught in the blast, and it's just the, the hat that's left. But yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I'm not convinced. Even if he has technically killed himself in this, when we get to the end of Metal and everything... It's not sticking. Like, yeah. None of this world is sticking, and that's okay. But, no, it makes for a big moment. It, you know, stuff, like, as you say, actually happened. It, it felt like the, the Jean and Kendra segment actually had some impact and emotion to it, when, for the most part, up until this point in the arc, it's just been Kendra going, oh, we have to get to Jean. I care about Jean. Let's get to him. And then likewise, like, getting to the chair, there's been such a sort of, like, just all these extra obstacles to get to the throne that actually having them say, no, we're going to do this, and then actually having a result from it, uh, and a cliffhanger that actually feels like a... Not a... It doesn't feel like a bullshit cliffhanger. It feels like, yeah, there there is going to be this, like, sort of, can we trust the Legion of Doom? Uh, Yeah, it's not, like, the best cliffhanger ever. It's, it's, you know, it's fine. But I think the the most important part is it's it's a new element. It doesn't feel like yes. it's just oh here's danger because you were in danger all issue. It's it's a it's something new and it's a direct result of the actions that actually happened. It's, yes, uh, it's a result of progress. And yeah, that's that's important. Um, I think it's a fine cliffhanger though because it doesn't doesn't. I mean, it's not the the, the most unique cliffhanger, but it's it yeah, doesn't. No, I, I agree. It's it fine. Does, it doesn't feel like bullshit though. It doesn't feel like I'm going to get to the next issue and go ah oh, well they they backed out of that. Like I mean, sure. All it's probably going to be is Lex jumping and saying, no, we have to work together. And that's fine. But the cliffhanger feels in character for who's on page. So it's fine. Yeah, it absolutely is a fine cliffhanger. It's it's a fine, by the numbers, standard comic cliffhanger. Yes. Uh, so, there you go. That's Justice League. Uh, uh, and the arts, you know, as it's been all arc, is generally solid. It really, really in the big splash pages kind of comes to life. You know, the, the Omega Knight firing its beam at the the tuning fork looks really good yeah i do think uh broker's art heads it's a little bit messy at points it just sometimes feels like there's a bit too much going on um which is maybe why there's too much in the scene or if it's just too too busy in the line work which is maybe why the splash pages come off the best um because i will say the sense of scale's pretty good you know when the the night's fallen uh 
you know, towards the end, and Nightwing standing in front of the, you know, the body. Yeah, you know, like there's, there's a good sense of scale there, at the very least. So, um, yeah, I agree. But uh, what are you giving it? I'm gonna give it a solid seven. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Seven out of ten, nice and simple. So cool. All right, Dark Knight's Death Metal Infinite Hour Extreme, and I'm saying it like that because it's got three X's. I don't know how yeah. to get across the three X's without going extreme. <laughs> I mean, this is a Lobo issue, so I think the the title is fair to have that many X's. Yeah, I, I no. When I got to the second one and realized it's actually just a continuation of the same through line, I was like, oh. And Cora kept saying, oh, we could just add those backups to this one. I'm like, not really. This one's... I didn't say this one in particular. Although I might have done last week. I don't know. You did, yeah, it. last week you suggested that it could have been on this, but... Okay, fair enough. I didn't know this was a Lobo one at that point, I guess. Yes. Um, I mean, Lobo was on the cover, so you knew at least one of the stories was going to be Lobo, but yeah. Right, it, but I, I think I'd seen multiple teams attached to it and just assumed, yes. all right, it's 80 pages or whatever it is, and some, some of it's Lobo. Well, it's more like 40, but and I'm glad, sure. because it would have felt like a long... It dev would have done, all right. Yeah, it's... it's Whatever. It's, the, it, the point is yeah. clear. It's basically the story of what Lex got uh, Lobo to do, right? We've seen some glimpses of it, uh, but we also get the idea of the... The Batman man. Uh, the, the, the Batman who frags. Batman who frags is the other title he goes by. So Batman Lobo, uh, who attacks Lobo. Lobo gets into a fight with him, Lex pulls him out last minute um, and gives him the mission to find the, the death metal, which is this, you know, super powerful substance, which... And the second part... And I say, sec I say second part rather than the second story, because it is really one through line going through the whole it, thing. It is, and to be fair, it does label it as part. Yeah, it does. Because uh, the, the, first, the first part is by Frank Thierry uh, with art by Tyler Kirkham. Uh, and the art in this first part is quite good, because Kirkham's a pretty solid artist. Yeah, um, really good stuff. Um, second part is Becky Clooney writing with Rags Morales on the art, and this is uh, Black Monday, the solemn Grundy Batman uh, versus Lobo. As Lobo's on Black Hawk Island, he's trying to get to the the, the, the Death Metal. Hawkman's there. Hawkman, did you think it was a little weird how Hawkman just kind of shrugs and goes, "Yeah, well, I can't guard it forever, so I suppose I'll take you to it," kind of thing. A uh, little bit, yeah. yeah I also thought in, in this story it was a little bit weird how. What is clearly, like you say, Solomon Grundy Batman yes. talks like Bizarro. That's a bit odd, yeah. It's bit, it was it was the same thing with uh, Lobo Batman, to be honest. When he when he, he briefly mentioned his backstory that he's Batman who injected himself with Zarnian DNA, all I could think was, yeah, but why are you talking like Lobo? <laughs> like that doesn't mean you should be talking like him. <laughs> yeah, I know. It doesn't make a whole. I mean, it's fine. I know they wanted to have the fun with it and just do the wacky things, but. It's, it's a bit I think that strange. I could let slide more because, like you say, it was just look, just do with it. We're, we're doing the Lobo thing. It's fun, so, and it is fun. That said, though, the best part of the issue by far is when Lobo gets this dark metal, and it turns out he can basically form kind of like worlds and like universes with it. And we essentially get uh, like one page, like the classic backstories of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, but with Lobo's own writing. And this is pretty funny. And it is. And it is actually relevant, because at first it feels like a really... Because I, I almost thought for a second that the the actual story was done and we were just getting some funny little backups at the end. But then it actually turned out, no, he's actually doing this with the dark... The, the, sorry, the death metal, right? So he's he's actually doing this. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of funny. So 
th- th- this was pretty g- just the dialogue there was one in the batman one that really because the first one's superman and and we always say how you know we don't have to ever see you know clark land in the field again we don't have to see batman's parents get shot in the alley again but there's a couple of moments here where you know like the the, the gangster the joe chill is, is lobo and he's like oh look it's a crime in crime alley who'd have thunk it um even though don't get me wrong we have to point out that it wasn't called crime alley until after this that was one of the reasons why it's called crime alley is because of what happened but that's- yes but it's fine because it's lobo's interpretation that said, though, the panel before this, where... <laughs> so Martha Wade says, I do, forsooth, my beloved Zorro sucks. Thomas Wade says, Pretty, my dear sweetheart, and all that other rich weenie barf. And then Bruce just says, Far! And I don't know why Bruce just saying far made me laugh as much as it did, yeah. but it did. All, all of this did, good for me, because then when... Uh... You know, the Joe Chill shows surprise Clyde's, and then you know you come out. You know, whom's calling? Whom's the Clyde? Yeah, he's basically doing what his impression of what rich people talk like. Uh, is yeah. essentially the joke. Um, and then the, the joke with the Superman one is basically that Martha and Jonathan are kind of idiots for going off to investigate a rocket. <laughs> yeah, and then it's uh, Baby Lobo inside. You know, which one of you busties is going to change my diaper? And then the Wonder Woman is basically just talking about oh that that. You know, fragging stud Lobo. I'm going to make sweet bunny love to him all night, uh, kind of and, thing. And Lobo likes dolphins because they're the only things worth saving in this miserable universe. Yeah, because Diana doesn't save save Steve Trevor. She cuts off his head, and then we get a glimpse of Lobo Cyborg, Lobo Green Lantern, and Lobo Martian Manhunter. Uh, sorry, Martian Main Manhunter, uh, who all just say yes, dolphins. They're, they're the best. You know, death, death <laughs> to all but dolphins. At- yeah. I think it's it's the the one one one. Hang on, you precious dolphins! I'll save you from all these insufferable lamers. I mean, honestly, those three pages were the highlight. I actually think what comes after it might be the worst section of the book. I, I yeah. found the uh, the conversation with Brainiac who shows up, and this is the one thing that kind of ties into Justice League issue that we just read. I will say they've done a really good job of making all these tie-ins to Death Metal all kind of feel like they're following a timeline as we're reading them. Yeah, the editorial department yeah. step. In terms of even if just in terms of getting the release schedule correct, um, and like you know, this being the following week from that Justice League issue, it's good, yeah, uh, it's it's really good, yeah. So, but basically, Brainiac's explained that Lobo needs to sort of help save the universe and or give up the uh, the, the death metal. Uh, the Lobo Batman shows up, they have a bit of a fight, he he wins the fight and sends him into one of the universes he's created. Um, in fact, because he agrees to go with Brainiac. Uh, there's a whole joke here where Brainiac's like dressed like he's a fourth grade school teacher. But I mean, honestly, I found the dialogue here and the fight to be kind of just the the most I don't know, not tough to read, but just the least flowing I, part of the issue. It was just kind of whatever. Do you know what I think it was? It was like we got three pages of the Lobo speech in those worlds that felt so smart. Yeah, and then it came back to the real world, and the dialogue didn't change except now it's not doing the parodies, and it just kind of went, oh, okay, we're just doing this now. Yeah, because I, I enjoyed the first two parts more than this last part after the parody pages, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Me too. But of course, the epilogue is that we see where, uh, you know, Bat- the Batman who frags went, and it's the it's basically the universe where everyone's a Lobo. It's Lobo Superman, Lobo Wonder Woman, <laughs> Lobo Flash. Yeah. All beating him up, so. Lobo Land. Yeah, uh, the, the last part was... Uh, Sam Humphreys with uh, Dennis Cowan on the art. So, 
this is a weird one because I don't typically like Lobo stories all that much, but there was some stuff to like in here. Um, I don't know how essentially ultimately really that is, other than just he goes to get a MacGuffin and gets the MacGuffin. It's more just the writers having fun with the, the, the premise. It's especially the parody. Those three parody pages are almost worth the, the reading the book. <laughs> just for those three. I get that. Yeah, those three are good. I think the first two parts were sort of like the whole Batman Who Frags thing was kind of fun. That, that whole like you know fight sequence, everything at the start was a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, probably mainly thanks to Tyler Kirkham, Let's be honest. Um, I think he yeah, did that a was great more, job. That was more on the art, yeah, than the writing. Um, but then the second part was a little bit more mixed. I still enjoyed it. Again, uh, I think you know, great art still that that really suited. The stuff we were doing uh in that you know like the the way it was drawn for black hawk I, island looked really good i kind of felt like we didn't really need the grindy part of the first half of it like we could have just cut that out and just went straight to he arrives at black hawk island and runs into hawk man that would have been fine <laughs> probably but it needed the extra fight right like it's, it's okay if it was you know 35 pages instead of 40 that'd be okay yeah i yeah. uh, even need to lower the price <laughs> really no, it's probably not that different. And then yeah. the, the third part, I think, as I say, you had those parody pages, which were excellent. But then it felt like a lot of Brainiac text after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, it just wasn't, uh, there wasn't any like good bouncing between them, so it wasn't that funny. No. And, and I, I'm a fan of Dennis Cowan in a lot of books. I think we just, uh, just did the, the question with Jeff Lemire, right? Um, and wonderful art for that story. Not sure it really suits this book as well like as the other two art styles that we had in here. I think it, this one stood out a little bit more. Um, it's very uh, gritty and scratchy art, which, again, in the right book, I really like. But in this here, I, I didn't think it quite meshed as well as the others. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. What are you giving it? Uh, I'm going to give it a six, because it's all right. Yeah... We're probably gonna give it a six two. I I think this is kind of the this is maybe the one that feels like okay, this is maybe more typical tie-in quality, but it's not bad tie-in quality though. It's just perfectly readable, you get something out of it, but it's not essential it's, like some of the other ones have been. It's the sort of thing where if we'd had twenty of this style of tie-ins, mm. we'd be giving this like a three or a four just because we were sick of them. Yeah. Whereas I mean this is like you say, you know, this is one of you know one or two like this where you're like yeah sure whatever you get a, you you're allowed a couple with with any event like this you you get a little bit of leeway yeah that's basically it so there you go punchline issue one james tyan the fourth and sam john's writing with muka and dolfo on the art so this is you know as tynan here who's co-writing this so as obviously tying into what he's doing in the bat world and everything that's going on and interestingly, we have a lot of focus on Harper Row and her brother Cullen, right? Cullen's the name? It's been a while since I've dealt with yes. the character, to be honest. Although, <laughs> I, I do have uh, an admission to make. I couldn't finish this. You couldn't finish this? I got about halfway through, give or take, and I got to about a five-page section that were just, like, assaulting me with walls of text. And I, and I, I, I did have a bit of a headache at the time when I was reading this earlier, and I was just like, I can't, I, I don't, can't do this. Just can't get through this just chunk of just massive narration boxes. I think it's like a, a podcast section. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's the, the all the podcast episodes. Um, well, you've failed this podcast, quite frankly. I hate to quote uh, I know, but I, I could not get past that because it was just 
And, and that's where I was like, I don't think Tynan's writing the dialogue for this issue. I think he plotted it and uh, whoever the other person was, whose name I've forgotten already, unfortunately. Sam Jones. Uh, so, you. yeah, so this is... We, we get a little bit of backstory about how, how uh, Punchline first met Joker. There was this horsey situation when she was on like a school tour of the, the TV studio somewhere in the city. Um, but ultimately, the idea that she became obsessed, and it's kind of framed around like the, the court dates coming up, and it wraps around kind of what we've seen in the, the, the main Bat book, you know, this, this video message of her talking about how she's innocent. Um, that kind of happens, you know, a little bit into the book where essentially the purpose of this is to show the influence that Sheik is kind of having on the city and what, why kind of she calls herself Punchline and the idea being that she believes that Joker's been telling this big grand joke, right? And no one's really finding it funny yet because, well, you don't find a joke funny halfway through. You find a joke funny when you get to the Punchline and <laughs> that's kind of why she's called Punchline. But the facilitation that she's having for Joker is to basically give him a more of a following. Like, she's actually kind of building a following. Like when she goes into the, the police, like, transport van, uh, like, one of the guards has a has a tattoo to show that he's, he's an ally and he gives her a, a phone. Uh, it's the parallels and kind of, like, the allegory here that it's just dealing with, this idea that she's using memes and podcasts and social media to build up a following for an extreme character, an extreme movement. It's very, you know, having just watched The Boy Season 2, it's very uh, Stormfront. And... You know, the, the parallels to like, extreme right-wing kind of, like, media, and, and uh, particularly on the internet, and those type of more kind of, like, extreme examples of your... It, it felt pretty current in that regard. I think this is the first comic I've seen uh, refer to simps. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I don't think I've seen that in, in another one yet. And it tries to make it a bit more personal because it uses Harper's brother to, while I couldn't remember his name because it's been such a long time, I, I still remember that great issue, one of the best issues of Snyder's Batman run, which is the issue that focused on uh, these two characters. I still remember that issue, so it still kind of meant something that he's kind of slowly seduced into thinking like one of these people who are supporting the Joker, All, almost without realizing that, because, you know, he's very, at first he's very adamant that he's against the Joker, but he's kind of starting to come around to the idea that, that Punchline's innocent and she's not so bad and she, she didn't actually kill anyone. And of course, we actually see by the end, like the way she sort of lured out the Joker to form like a, a connection with him was basically done via multiple like murders and gassings and like very heinous crimes. But he's essentially like online, someone starts talking to him that he's kind of interested in and he, he sends him the podcast and he starts listening to it. And this is where you kind of... Uh, dove out is that we get essentially like four or five of like episodes of her podcast and it's before she became like you know punchline it's just when she was just investigating and sort of looking into him and building up to the idea that she was going to seek him out and it's her it's essentially going through the history of some of the big moments like she references Arkham Asylum you know the Grant Morrison comic she references the killing joke she references a bunch of things like just instantly me think of the big tentpole moments in Joker's career um, and I kind of like, she, she actually talks about Arkham Asylum and she, re she, she refers to the plot of that book and says it's the first time you took hostages in Arkham, of which you've done many times. But then she kind of doubts herself, or was it the second or third? And it's the, I kind of like that flexibility. It's like, yeah, you know, it's an early well, joke. Well, what are you, what are you counting as continuity, kind yeah. of? Kind of thing, yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's just playing with that. 
Um, brings up the laughing fish and all this history. So, I will agree that there's a lot of text <laughs> in that section. I kind of like the gist of what it was doing, though, in the sense that this this issue's trying to take the like the history of the Joker and turn it into some kind of movement that feels like it's a parallel for like a real life kind of like extremism kind of thing. Um, I don't know if the execution is necessarily all there, but I do think the imp- you know having Cullen having having Harper's brother be sort of asked to meet up in public at the end and it turns out he's been invited to like essentially the crowd that's all wearing joker masks like cheering for punchline as she walks into the courtroom and having harper sort of witness this because she's sort of spying from above uh, to keep an eye on leslie tompkins who's uh testifying uh you know on you know basically as a as a doctor as to whether punchline is you know mentally able to stand trial and that kind of thing um like, I do think there's implications here for the future. The idea that she's building Joker into a movement where regular people are being seduced into the idea of, of Joker extremism. Again, like, I, I don't want to call it right-wing extremism because it's not. It's Joker extremism. It's it, using it, a fictional thing. It is, but there are very real-world examples like in the UK. I, I, Tommy Robinson springs to mind as kind of being a key example of this particular thing in like, oh, well, you know, victimized by the press. There's the court cases and, you know, the... The, the army of supporters showing up at that, it, it feels like it's drawn straight from that in, in kind of what you're describing here. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going down that path. And I think, I actually like what the story does and I like kind of what it's... And especially since I think ultimately Punchline, again, this is something we've been saying in Batman, is that I think she's actually believes in something that isn't true. And I think that's kind of what makes the character a little bit interesting. She's this devout, like, soldier for the Joker and she believes that ultimately Joker has an endgame. And I don't know if he does. I don't believe the Joker has a real endgame that he's ever going to hit. He, he, and, keeps, uh, he keeps having new ideas and he keeps trying to accomplish those new ideas, but I don't believe there's some big endgame that he's ultimately trying to and, get to. And I guess this is where you could replace, in this analogy of building up the movement, in, in the, you could replace the Joker with uh, any number of key political figures mm. from the past few years in that, you know they 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 spout this rhetoric and the you know the, this is what we're gonna do, and and you know, ultimately I don't you know looking from the outside as someone who's not one of their followers I'm like I don't think they have a plan I think it's just obtain power like you know it's ineptitude almost and, and I'm not saying Joker's plan is to you know obtain power you know that's kind of you know he he has his own agenda shall we say but it's again it's not what Punchline thinks and in the same way that I think it's not what a lot of the political followers yeah, think of these it actually these makes punchline a lot more interesting as a character kind of the allegories that she's kind of leading to and because there was that worry the first time you saw her, oh it's harley quinn 2.0 right that was like the first time you saw her, that was the general yeah. kind of like that's what she probably is and yeah i think even we felt it a little bit oh, okay so here's joker's new love interest characters whatever but the more we're seeing what Tang's doing, because unlike Joker, it, it does feel like Tang has a like has always had a vision in mind for what this character is supposed to accomplish and represent, and I think we're getting that gradually. And, uh, so for the most part, I think I actually quite like this issue, despite the fact that it's a bit too long and it's a bit wordy in places. But I think ultimately, what it's achieving and what it's doing to set up the the, the future of Gotham and like this Joker following that she's building for for him is kind of interesting. Uh, and there are some nice little techniques used throughout, like the idea of the montage of her, like all the things she did to try and make the Joker notice her so that they could form a like a, a bond or whatever, 
Like, she, you know, she's straight up gassing people on subway trains, she's doing all this stuff. This comes not that long after we've had Cullen argue that, well, she, no, she's innocent, she never did anything. You know? Like, like she, she's not guilty of all this shit. But then we actually get this montage of her being this, like, just evil person mm-hmm. uh, and killing multiple people. Um, and all that it's an accident that when she's, like, killing people at this uh, restaurant... Well, the Joker kind of like grabs her from behind, and it's very reminiscent of the pose and you know that classic Joker Harley Quinn Alex Ross painting, uh, where they're dancing. It's yeah, kind of like that, but like punchlines, like she's about to stab someone, and he sort of grabs her hand, but he's in like a tuxedo, and he's kind of holding her, and it's kind of a very similar pose. I, I don't think that's an accident. Definitely isn't. So um, I'm sure it's not, especially with the way you've talked about how it's played with continuity, mm-hmm. or, you know, and referencing the history. Um, feels very self-aware in that regard. Yeah, uh, and you know she she kisses him and like you know the, the ending is this you know the mocking of the court case and you get the feeling that you know uh, Cullen is is being seduced by this this person who believes these things and uh it's notable that right before he puts on the mask he uh you know he, he, the other guy holds his hand and Harper looks down and sees this she sees her brother in the crowd and it just says to be continued in twenty twenty one so. Um, whether this is in the main Batman book or the second Bat title that we know Tynion's been teasing, mm. um, we'll see. But um, I like everything that sets up, and I like the general beats that it's doing. Even if you know, I agree the execution's not immaculate. I don't think I it's. Mean, I don't think it's that bad either, though. I don't think it was uh, put down halfway through <laughs> levels. I mean, that's the thing. I was kind of enjoying what I read uh, up to the point where I stopped, and then I got to that that page, and I was I got about halfway through that first page of just wall of text and i, I kind of like, oh my god this is to me and then i flicked ahead and i was like oh my god this keeps going for like four more pages and then i looked ahead and there's, there was more of it later and i was like I, I i can't read through all this this is too much um even though you know, like, i liked what i was reading before that and i like everything you've kind of said about the ideas of it uh i, I kind of appreciate what it's doing i just i think the way it was written was too much for me um, I don't think, I don't think the writing was that bad to get through. Uh, there uh, was a lot of it, and uh, maybe it could have been trimmed down a bit. But it was supposed to be emulating this podcast where she's going into detail, so it's kind of this, like you know. I think I think for me, it's when you have stuff like that, you have to make the rest of the page engaging. Uh, but at least the first two pages of this were just set across uh static full page more or less uh backgrounds. There wasn't like uh, a lot of interesting things going along with this. It was just, I don't know, eight, ten, twelve panels of just very dense narration. Uh, there weren't small panel boxes. It was just a lot of text and not a lot of visual imagery. And I think you, you, there are better ways to do this in, in a comic. Uh, frankly, I think, yeah, that's kind of what it was for me. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I like the idea of Harper, like, having someone we know have someone close to them be radicalized, essentially. Uh, I think it adds a lot of, like, personal yeah, weight I... to it, which is quite nice. Uh, also, her final uh, podcast episode, because uh, before she goes to the court case, like, she does, like, her final episode. Uh, it's episode number 52, because of course it of course is. It is. Yeah. Um, no, I actually, I agree with what you're, you're saying there about you know, the idea of being radicalized there and you know, how interesting that that is because I, I read a thread on Twitter the other day about people kind of who'd had family members or close friends or uh. you know, spouses who had kind of fallen to like queue and on holds 
and them not knowing how to deal with it and you know and how it's kind of ruined their lives because they it's you know completely ruined their relationships with these people that they're very close to and it's it was a you know tragic to read some of the some of this thread um and I feel like you know this is tapping into that energy, uh, kind of by the center. Go for for the future. You know, it's, you go it's, it's one of those things I'd have thought about halfway through this, or maybe not, maybe about later than halfway. But you know, once it was sort of like sort of you know showing its cards a bit more towards the end of what it was doing, and I was kind of like thinking, you know, like c- can I buy that that you know people in Gotham would even like follow the Joker like this, like the idea that he would get a following where people believe in him after everything he's done for all the years that he's done it. And the sad part is, is that after about 10 seconds of thought, I went, yeah, sadly, I think I did. <laughs> like, it actually feels realistic that you would. I mean, you only have to look to a, a, a recent history of, I don't I know, know, a week ago. I, I know. It's, 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 it was one of those things where I, I stopped to thought about it and went, you know what, I'd like to believe that no one would be this dumb, but then, would you believe it? I believe it, so... <laughs> Um, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the issue. Uh, and Dolph's art is is pretty solid. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm surprised you like uh her art as much as you do. It's very anime esque. I think her art uh, a lot of pointed faces, round eyes. It's a, it's a little anime, but it's not like it's not absurdly anime. It still feels like a, a comic book. Um, I think part of it is that it still has a decent amount of detail and some some scratchy roughness where it needs to. Um, I think. When it's super anime, but also super clean. That one, it bothers you. It gets a bit of my nerves. It's a bit too cute. It's a bit too, uh, we want to be, I don't know, Sailor Moon or something. I don't know. This kind of does a lot of the anime stylings. I mean, I'm looking at the, the title page now, where Batman's kind of coming through the, the studio window and then taking out Joker. And you've got, what I'm pretty sure is punchline there, kind of looking very anime-esque, you know, with the eyes and, and the, the face shape it's just it's all like yeah it's 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 very stylized in that regard yeah yeah um oh, i'm looking at that page now i can see what you see that's maybe the most anime looking thing in the whole book though is that face <laughs> i don't know there was I, I mean i felt like there was quite a lot of that influence there maybe it's just because i uh, i'm more attuned to end off as i've seen a lot of it and i kind of just know what to expect and kind of i see it more um yeah, I, I, I'm surprised it didn't bother you more. But I mean, I'm, I'm glad it didn't, because it's, it's nice art. Yeah. No, I'm not too bothered by that. Uh, there's definitely more anime. Admittedly, um, Colin's haircut's a bit anime but... I, I think his haircut has always been pretty anime, to be yeah. fair. But that's... Uh, you know, I'm not here to judge the hairstylings of, of characters, typically. Yes, uh, we, we are not the ones to talk about that. No, um, but there you go. Um, also the guy that's uh luring in uh Cullen, he he's got a very Archie Andrews kind of look to him. <laughs> I'm just, I just, it's just occurred to me. I, that's... I assume this is the uh bluff. Person yeah, bluff the guy. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's his screen name because he starts talking to him online. Yeah. Yes, that's kind of where we kind of just before I, I I stopped, so I didn't realize that's quite where it was going. But um, no, uh, in- interesting stuff, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see how this stuff plays into uh, the the bat side of things. And it, you know what? It, like the bat corner of the universe, more often than not, tends to be pretty solid as a place to like explore. And it's not because there's anything inherently like, easier or better about those characters. It's just because 
they tend to get a lot of good creative people in that corner because it sells you know well. I think part of it is as well. Um, because you can slap Batman on it and it'll sell well enough, it means you can have more Bat books, which means, in theory, you can diversify what they're mm. doing a bit more. It gives you a bit more creative freedom. I mean, just before, uh, I think it was just before um, Rebirth, we had Gotham Academy and Gotham by Midnight, I think they were, uh, both at the same time. And one was like this, you know, full anime high school thing. And one was like the, the horror supernatural police book. And, you know, both are going on at the same time and both sold well enough just because you slap Gotham on them. And it gives you that freedom to do those books alongside the main ones. I don't know if there's any other area in, in comics or DC comics specifically that has that freedom that, where it just has almost no diminishing returns on the amount of sales. Well, you know, they'll still make their money just by slapping the name on it. Yeah, so, no. I mean, I actually, I mean, I'd say overall, I think the issue is pretty good. I, I think it's an interesting direction, and I, I like what it's doing overall. Um, yeah, this is maybe a bit on the long side, maybe a bit wordy in places, but uh, I'm definitely... I, I definitely like Harper Rowe being a factor again, because that was kind of a side character. I, I've still never really forgiven Snyder for introducing such a great character and then just forgetting she exists almost immediately. Um, but yeah. it is what it is. Uh, so what are you giving... Pun- oh, yeah, you didn't finish it. You, yeah, you I don't think it's fair it. for me to give it a rating. Although I will say, despite having not finished it because of the writing, I like the ideas, which yes. says to me I like what Tynan's doing and I, I will be excited going forward. I don't really like the scripting of this particular issue though. Yeah, so just just watch the second book be scripted by this person. Uh <laughs> that, that would have made me rather sad, I have to admit. Um I, I mean I thought it was a fine enough read, so I wouldn't be that upset to begin with. And uh, but hey, anyway, I I'll probably hmm, I think I'm happy to go with a 7.5. Uh, I'm not going to quite call it great, just because there are things that could be spruced up. But the ideas in there are good enough that I, I do think it's uh, worth the time if you care about uh, what Tynan's bat plans are for the, uh, the next year. So uh, that is a punchline. Superman issue 27, Brian Michael Bendis writing with Ivan Reese on the art. So, yeah, we're nearing the end of Bendis' Superman run. Superman was fighting the alien, uh, Sinmar, whose name I only remember because it was said a lot in this issue. <laughs> so I thank you for that, Bendis. Oh, one of those issues, was it? <laughs> I thank you for that. Uh, no, but this was a good issue. I mean, obviously, the art and action has been torturous. And yeah, you, you'll find it again this month because you're you're on action oh, again. Oh, God, I, I am, aren't I? Yeah, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm but, a lot more whiskey that week. Yes. But yeah, we got Ivan Reese here, so obviously the art is uh, very solid. A um, lot of big splash pages, a lot of action. And we have a B-plot again uh, with Lois and uh, with Lana. And if you remember the last time they went into the Phantom Zone at the end of the issue, uh, we had Superman and, and Sinmar go in there. Superman basically as a last-ditch effort sort of brought them into the Phantom Zone to sort of keep the fight from spilling anywhere else. And Zadu shows up, the the Phantom King, you know, the first Kryptonian ever put in the Phantom Zone. He tries to uh, interfere a little bit, but obviously it doesn't go so well. Uh, especially later on in the issue when Superman opens like a, a portal back to the real world, uh, and Zadu tries to escape. It's like, no, not you. It, was, it actually really made me laugh. Uh, it was kind of like that meme 
where someone will say, oh, you know, all these great characters should do this thing, and it'll be like a lineup of nine, but it'll just get to the one in the middle, it'll say, not you. Like, not- thank you for all the yeah. great whatever, yeah, not yeah. you in the middle, yeah, another one. Yeah, it was basically that sort of moment, he just sort of grabs his, no, no, not you, <laughs> and throws him back. Um, I actually like what it does, though, in terms of, like, basically Superman, who tried to communicate last time, he, he keeps trying here, he's like, you know what, I, I hit Luther, I hit Brainiac, I hit Mongol and Darkseid, but this doesn't feel right, something about this doesn't feel quite right, I have to try and show that I, I don't want to fight this thing, whoever he is, I have to try and show that I'm not, so he basically tries to sort of point to himself and say, I'm Superman, Superman, and he does make some contact, because Sinmar's like, Sinmar? But then Simmer just immediately starts fighting him again. He's like, no, I have to try and stop this. I have to try and stop this. So he opens a portal back to the real world and is like, hey, like, show me where you're from. Like, who are you? Where are you from? Because Kalex has nothing, like, no idea where this, this guy comes from, what planet he's from, anything. Um, so he follows Sinmar, who basically leads him back to his planet. And there's an orange sun, which, you know, I'm not entirely sure what Orange Sun's going to do to Superman's body, but he does say he feels a bit weird and a bit woozy. Uh, so we'll see what the ultimate effects are. But obviously he's not going to be at the, the same levels of powers. I, I, I thought I read an article about this, because I didn't realise it was about Superman mm. 27 or whatever it is. I kind of just read it, oh yeah, Superman has a new weakness. And I and from what I read on the article, it was saying uh, it affects his his brain as well as his body. So he's not, he's not just you know, weak and powerless, his his mental function diminishes as well. There are, yeah, there is a line about his intellectual power or isn't there, but I, I, I kind of just took that from the line that was said that he's not, like, super smart anymore, like, he's not got the super... Because early, early on the issue, it makes a point of him saying, hey, if you start speaking your language, I can start to decode it and figure it out quite quickly. Uh, I took that to mean as well, he can't do shit like that anymore. <laughs> like, he, he, oh, that's yeah. fair enough, then. Like, you know, it may have been a very... Could easily have just been a misleading headline. I, know, I mean, they may be right. Maybe the next issue will, will because you know it's basically right at the end where Sidmar's like, okay, now you're here. We're going to like try you and you know punish you for your existence, <laughs> but there's no need to fight anymore because you're weak, kind of thing. Um, so Superman's kind of been led into this. I mean, I don't know if it was a trap per se. I don't think this was Sidmar's plan, but the the way things played out and the opportunity presented itself, he's just like, well, there's no point in fighting, you know. Uh, and it's worth mentioning he's speaking properly now because here he's got like a translation thing so he can just speak and we understand him uh, and it's fine um, but yeah I mean, maybe he is dumb maybe he'll be kind of an idiot <laughs> next issue and that'll be kind of like what they do with the orange sun um, so no I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how different suns affect him from time to time like the different colours uh, the Lois and Lana story isn't much to it it's just a couple of pages but Lana comes over and is like, hey, I, I want to get your like opinion on like the interview I did with Clark before I publish anything. And Lois is like, oh, geez, it's that bad. He said something, you know, that I might not like. But she insists that Lana read something before she publish anything. And it turns out Lois has actually written a new book. Because she says, hey, you know, uh, this is my book on the tablet. And she's like, oh, the one you just, you know, did? Like, yeah, I read it already. It's like, no, no, no this is a new one. <laughs> um, and there's a joke about her, her spelling. Because uh, the first thing Lana says is a typo, and Lois is like, "Yep, there will be." <laughs> uh, but that's basically all that that side plot is. So we'll get to kind of what the reveal of that is next time as well, I assume. Uh, but a lot of this is the fight. A lot of this is Superman trying to reason. Um, I think I enjoyed it 
kind of in that that very Superman way where he's trying to no matter what you know do this peacefully. He's trying to stop this from being a fight the entire time. So there is that fundamental level that I think Bendis really gets with Superman is this this constant try and like no matter what to do the peaceful outcome to not just be a you know a, to be a fist fight. Um. And I appreciate that, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's what we always talk about in Star Trek Next Generation, about Picard trying to do the diplomatic thing at all times, you know, it's always just a last resort. Picard is basically just a knockoff Superman. It kind of is, yeah. Uh, we say that a lot when we were talking about Next Gen. Whenever he makes a speech about doing the right thing, it's like, yeah, this is a super- that's, that's, that's This is why Star Trek has changed so much, because much like Superman, there's this belief that the general audience can't stomach at the proper Star Trek story. So now it has to all be action, whiz-bang, explosions everywhere. It can't just be, no, like Star Trek, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the captain of the Enterprise doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. It has to be whiz-bang. I, I wonder then, if, if we look at the, the early seasons of Discovery and mm. maybe Picard and, and we go, oh, it's all been infected by the J.J. Uh, the Abrams, mm-hmm. you know, need for action. Maybe we should be blaming Man of Steel for its shit. J.J. Abrams Superman was first. Uh, Superman. J.J. Abrams Star Trek was first. No, no, I know, but maybe instead we should we should be more directly blaming Man of Steel for introducing. You know, okay, you know, if even Superman needs to change, then Star Trek has to. Because I get why they did that for the big blockbuster movie reboot. Okay, sure. I get that. Uh, but but uh, instead of the, the shows kind of reverting back, there's a lot of parallels. Uh, although Superman, to be fair, I mean, it's not a one to one because Superman. Because, you know, we go through a lot of different runs, we go through different arcs, there are obviously lots and lots of, like, good Superman stories and comics still that still yes. feel very Superman. Uh, it's more just the movies that are struggling <laughs> to be Superman. But, you know, that's what it is. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a fine issue. Um, it was a fairly quick read. We're building up to wherever it's going. I will say... This is probably the most interested I've been in Sinmar as a character, because up until now he's just kind of been like, ah, oh, he's another alien with super strength and shit, he wants to fight Superman. Um, these moments where it, it felt like he was actually starting to listen, and maybe Superman can convince him to or, you know, talk to him and get, find a peaceful resolution, is making him far more intriguing than than he was before. Admittedly, you know, he does sort of say at the end, they're still going to like try him, and I don't know if execute was a word used, but at the very least, you know, it's, punishment was so we'll see how that plays out but i do wonder if it's again it's going to be this convincing them that he is not a threat and yes again a peaceful solution which would be a far more far more satisfying conclusion to this than anything else so we'll see if that's actually the path it goes down uh solid seven as far as the rating goes <laughs> it's good it's not great it's not it's not one of his best issues but it's not also not like you know issue 25 that was Honestly, one of the, the by far the worst issues of the whole Superman series. Uh, action, annoyingly, was the better book for a long time, and then John Romita Jr. Then came infected. in, and then it, <laughs> then it sank. Ah, oh, it hurts so much. Anyway, that's uh, Superman twenty seven. Wonder Woman seven six six. Mariko Tamaki writing with Steve Pugh on the art. Here we have, uh, you know, the, the vertical stuff, Wonder Woman's blind, and, you know, we, we joked about her getting some sort of Daredevil-esque uh, sense, and I feel like we should have predicted that the lasso would let her see the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should have predicted that. We probably should have done. I'm, I'm going to just level with you. Uh-huh. This issue feels like a whole lot of nothing. Like, not a lot 
happens in this issue? And I, I kind of felt it kind of going in circles a little bit. Okay. I, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something, and I'm, I'm hoping you can kind of fill me in as to why this is a better issue than I am assuming in my mind. But like when I read it, I'm like, okay, that was that was the end. Like that was it. It, it felt like a whole lot of nothing. Uh, well, it's actually billed as the first part of the the new arc. It's called Max Lord's Revenge Part One. Um, and the yeah, the ending is basically Max finally making his move. Like there's you know there's a lot of bit of teasing early on when he's leading her blind that, you know, he, he he can't be trusted, but he does eventually abandon her. Yeah. And Verick was, uh, shows up, and one of them is left to deal with that on her own. And she blindfolds herself with the lasso uh, to see through it. And I will say it's a little bit weird how, essentially, at the end, Max just kind of says, ah, the effects of that thing will start to wear off. She'll probably get her sight back soon. Uh, it was kind of just a weird wishy-washy way of doing it. Uh, for the most part, though, it is Wonder Woman fighting blind, uh, with the various soldiers and then destroying Vertigo's, you know, tech that's letting him do all this extra stuff that he doesn't usually do. Um, and that's kind of it. The, the big thing at the end of this year, though, is Max actually making his move where he's getting, you know, he's retrieved some tech that he wanted. We don't quite see what it is, I don't think. But he retrieves something. And this woman who was kind of held captive by Vertigo comes out and he's like, oh, you're here to save us kind of thing. And she says, and he says, um... Well, I'm now. Nah, I'm here. I'm not here to fight for you, really. But uh, you will do my bidding. And he, he uses his powers for her to go send a message, and she jumps off the top of the the castle, and Wonder Woman has to catch her, and she relays this message that Max has given to her to say, "You knew this was coming, Diana. All past led to this. The time has finally come for me to watch you die." Um, and this is basically like, okay, so he's making his move, and we're now we're we're at Max being a villain again, which is a bit quicker than I think than we were expecting this. And and maybe hoping for as well, because it felt like we were just kind of getting a bit of a groove going with the last, like, two issues of the, <clears throat> uh, like, you know, the, the side stories with Max as the yeah. sidekick. It does feel a bit early to me. I, I will say, I actually like how he delivers the message. I, I love the idea of him making someone throw themselves off the building and, like, having this innocent bystander essentially have to, like, regurgitate yeah, yeah. this to her. I I think that it feels proper evil. It feels proper Max Lord, I guess. Um, and I like some of the art in this issue. You know, Wonder Woman's Daredevil vision. I, I thought looked kind of cool early on. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so I mean, and typically because it is a lot of fighting, it it is very reliant on the art. But the art is pretty solid. So uh, yeah, the art's fine. And I think like I said it's just this issue felt like a lot of just okay. We're gonna. Oh, can you see? Can you not? We're going to walk over to the castle. Oh, there's there's some people with guns. You should probably take those out. And then the, the, the bit at the end with, with Max Lord, so that last like three or four pages, whatever it is, is, is really quite good and interesting. And I, I like that. But I kind of felt like I was only just getting started in the issue because of, I guess it, it must have been about 15 pages of the, the walking and the fighting and stuff. that and, and I felt like in my head it would only been about, I don't know, five pages worth of story. So when I got to the end, I felt like I was only like halfway through an issue. I think and... what's weird for me is that at the start of the issue when he's leading her by the lasso because she's blind, and yes. I thought, okay, this is an interesting mechanic because now she has to kind of put trust in him. And if anything, I was going to expect that this issue might be the one that kind of, like, he's the most trusting he's ever been. Like, he's going to, like, pull through here and really be, like, useful to her because she's blind and she needs to trust him and uh, you know, then then the turn would come later. 
Now, I suppose it does also kind of work that it starts off with that level of trust having to be there because she's this vulnerable, and then by the end, she, he's, you know, made the turn. But it does feel a little bit on the early side for it. Um, I do think the moment itself is actually executed very well. Mm. Um, it just feels like it needed a bit more time. Um, it's kind of this thing where we sell this Vertigo stuff. So we had to kind of deal with that, and that's kind of what a lot of the issue is. Uh, Again, that, that's also something that felt really quite quick, right? Because Vertigo is not a nobody. No. Um, and, and it was this whole big thing at the end of last issue, or back half of last issue, maybe, where, oh, oh, it's Vertigo behind this. Let's go and figure this out and stop this. And and then he, you know, he's amped up on Lord Tech and blinds her, and then... He's uh, just... Oh, he, he's, he's beaten here. He's just a stopgap. He's... he's... Because we always knew Maxwell Lord was ultimately going to be the the end game villain to what this was building to. It was always going to be the case, but yes, uh, it, it does feel like it's gotten there a little bit quick. I still, I mean, the, the book looks good, and there's a lot, a lot of moments that are handled very well. So I'm I'm not that down on it, but it's it's why I, like, I don't think it's a terrible issue. I don't hate it. Like, like I say, it looks fine. It looks, I mean, pretty better than fine. That, that's pretty a little unfair. It looks good. Um, the fighting is all perfectly decent. I just I got to the end and felt. Like I, I, my my reaction was, oh, that's it. There's no more of the book, and not because I was, you know, sometimes you have that feeling where, oh, I'm really enjoying it, and I'm like, oh man, is that it? But where's the rest? But I got, the, I felt unfulfilled at the end of this issue. Like I hadn't had mm. uh, enough progression, enough, it just in, enough events happen, uh, not enough conversation that was meaningful happen. You know, I, I'm not saying oh, it has to be action, big events, but there wasn't enough of any individual things that built up to make me feel like I got a full comics worth of uh, content, I guess. It felt a bit stretched out. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's just a structural problem where, okay, all these other things that are happening in the next two or three issues are all totally mapped out, and this issue just needed to get us to this point and no it's, more. It's I, No, I agree. It's the sort of thing that doesn't leave me worried going forward. It's, um, they say, you know, it's concerned, oh, this issue's a bit stretched and pacing and Maybe this section of the run overall will feel a bit rushed now because of oh okay we're doing the Max Lord evil stuff now. Hey, this is, this but is I'm what... actually quite excited for that arc at the same time. Yeah, this is one of those things where this is far. What you're talking about here is far more of a problem. Reading this month in month, I've got a funny feeling reading this in trade because we can just go on to the next issue. This wouldn't even register uh, that much. Probably wouldn't even register in my brain. Yeah. No, uh, I, I agree. But yeah, we are paying for these monthly, and that is part of the consideration. I think. Oh no, it's worth talking about. I, I just, but I, I also look to the, the longevity where ultimately after this, no one's ever going to read the single issues again. You know, in the same way where they can, they can just binge, even if they're reading singles, if they've bought it that way, they're still yeah. going to be able to go to the next issue. Barring people being weird and doing a whole show dedicated to reading back issues <laughs> at, at, at a lower pace than they should have done. Um, we'll get to it. All right. Yeah. yeah. The next previous yeah. is coming. It is. It is. It is. Um, yeah, no, bar, bar people do that. Yeah, they're, they're never going to read it like this again. But as someone who you know, uh, who who is reading it like this, who's paid for it in this format, I, I feel justified in that critique. But I agree that long term, it probably doesn't ruin the, the overall with, story that much. It's the same with TV shows where sometimes the pacing, like week to week, might not be perfect. But there's some shows that actually translate from having slightly off pacing week to week. That all of a sudden, when you start binging them, and it's not like with a binge show where they expect you to do it so they, they don't structure it properly. But there are some shows where it feels like, it's still structured episode by episode, 
but there's kind of a pacing thing where it feels like maybe not a full enough like, amount of progression each week. But once you binge them, it's like, oh, wait, that's actually a really good binge show. And all of a sudden... I agree. And it's the sort of thing if with a lot of those shows, much like this particular comic, maybe, where not every issue or episode feels like that. It's, you know, one in every five or six maybe feels a bit weird and off. And and it, it, it'll be fine in the long run. But just yeah. as you're watching it or reading it that particular week or month, it's a little bit disappointing. I guess all I'm trying to say is that when it comes to these serialized things, comics and TV shows, there are some that actually translate to end up improving after the fact when, you know, when they exist that way forever afterwards. So it's kind of this weird thing where you do have to acknowledge that if there's a detriment to the single issue format at the time of release, but I think you also have to equally acknowledge when, oh, this may actually work better later on which is yeah and i think especially with comics where i feel like there may actually be more people like i don't think it's going to be that long like i think within five years more people will have read this in trade form than Than did single issues yeah probably um and i agree with that i think the reason this one feels a little bit more disappointing than some other examples as i can think of is, is there are some books that i can think of that as i'm reading it i'm very aware this is written for the trade they they happen to be putting out in single issues to make the extra money, but really this is written for the trade. And I haven't been feeling that with this run until this issue where I suddenly felt it all of a sudden. So it feels like a shock to the system. I, we'll see. I mean, I'm glad they took a couple of issues to show them have a couple of adventures before they did this. I, I wish it was a bit more, but... I, I wish we'd got a full, like, yeah. four or five issues of that, honestly. But at least they did a couple. Because I, yeah. I, it, it would have felt weird if they just immediately went to... You know, yeah, I agree. This, so, uh, what, what are you rating that? Uh, I'm gonna give it a five point five, um, which sounds really negative, but it's like I mean, it's it's fine, which is kind of where I fall for a five, and it's it's a little bit above average because the art's quite nice, and the ending. Yeah, I'll. I'm definitely more positive than you. I didn't have as many problems, even though I do have a couple of things that feel a bit off. So yeah. I'll probably go with a six point five, uh, for me. So, um, but cool. Uh, the Flash 765, Kevin Shinnick on writing with Sammy Basri and Will Conrad on the art. Uh, this is part three of this really weird and wacky uh, fill-in arc before we get to the Endless Winter um, issues. This arc, all, you know, this issue, I was kind of going, oh, it's okay. And then all of a sudden we have more very strange leaps in logic to conveniently get to the next stage well, of the plot. Yeah, there's some odd stuff with this arc. Because uh, the, the last issue, of course, ended with like the, the connection to the Speed Force being severed and Barry without his powers, which is just an annoying cliffhanger in general because we've done it too many times. But he's looking into the crime and he's looking into the, the cell at... Uh, I was, I was going to say Arkham there, <laughs> Iron Heights. And kind of looking into all this stuff. And I think the big thing for me, bizarrely, is that he just kind of like realizes he's going through the metal detector because it's something That's- the guard says. That's the one that bothered me. Yeah. Just before we get to that, in the saying he's he's going through the cell and there's, you know, uh, things scratched into the floor, yeah, lost with stone, and then other Latin words. Why does he need to take like actual etchings of the Latin words instead of just jotting them down? Like that, they're still he's not looking at like the way they were written or mm. you know the the handwriting or the oh they were carved by this. He, he just he just wants the word. It's uh, just a notepad would have done his job perfectly fine here. Yeah. So he just realizes that. Oh wait, no. The ring. When he had my ring, he did something to my ring. There's nothing wrong with my powers. He takes the ring off, and whoop to do. I'm the Flash again. <laughs> yeah, I also really 
this yeah. this is the one that got me. Like I say, it's just like this huge leap in logic. It was like the I mean, I, Magnus to Magus thing last time. I don't mind it being the ring's been tampered with to sabotage him. It's just so weird that he figures it out in the first, like the end of the first scene. It's just all of a sudden he's back to his powers again. I, I don't know. Like yeah. your whole your whole cliffhanger would imply that he's going to have to go at least an issue. But if the end of the issue something triggered the idea that it was his ring, or he took it off for oh. some other reason, and, and oh wait I, a minute, I could. I could even forgive it being the first scene that had him get his power. You know, by the end of the first scene, he's got his powers back. I, can, I could live with that because it's a comic book cliffhanger at the end of the day. Um, but I need a reason for him to get to that conclusion, not just someone, you know, he's going through a metal detector. Hey, have you got any metal on you? Oh, metal? Shit, my ring. That must be it. I'm like, wait, what? It just feels so contrived. Yeah, it, and it was like we were saying last time. It would have played better if he just like said, "Okay, is there any metal?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, my ring." And he took the ring off. And then when he took it off and put it down in the, the you know the little uh, tray, and then he felt something. Uh, yeah, that'd be fine. I think it's it's particularly notable because he he takes his keys out of his pockets and puts them in the the jar uh, to go on the tray, and he still has his ring on as he goes through the metal detector, which is fine. You know, they're, they're too small. They won't get picked up. I, I know this. You don't need to take the ring off. You, that's like, you know, that is okay. But that's not what's reminding him. If it was, like you say, if, he, if he'd had to take the ring off and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I've got the, you know, he can feel his connection come back. Maybe. I, I don't know. Then, okay, that makes more sense to me. This here, just something else metal was mentioned. So his mind triggers that, oh, that must be it. Yeah, an ongoing thing that I've had a problem with in this little arc, and I've appreciated the attempt to have more Barry and Iris kind of, like, romance, because I do think it's missing sometimes in the ongoing yes. stuff. Um, But there's like another weird moment here where it feels like they've only just met in some cases, and the one here is that she's kind of flirting with him, she calls Alchemy a better chemist, and Barry gets a little bit, better chemist, we thought, <laughs> like, he gets a bit, you know, his ego's hurt. It's like, okay, I'm kidding, you're better looking to... And she talks about, well, you know, we've got a lot of chemistry and, you know, you know what sort of reaction, I mean, what process comes next? And he's like, oh, I know exactly what comes next. And you turn the page and he's like, I've got to recreate this substance that I found at the scene of the crime kind of thing. And I don't have a problem with that joke, right? That joke, if he was intentionally doing it to be funny and she sort of had like a look in her face that was like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, you tease. Uh, she That'd looks genuinely distraught. Yeah, she looks genuinely upset, like she's just been rejected. And he, I mean, he admits that he did it intentionally because he's, he's, he's trying to focus on work, but it comes off really cold and really, like, just it, awkward. I think what, what's really bizarre about it is the next, like, three panels are just him looking really intently at, like, beakers <laughs> full of chemicals and doing his job. Like, there's like, nothing. Like I say, if he, if he said it with a smirk in his face, like, like oh, I know exactly what comes next. I've got to do this, and but it was it was intentionally trying to be funny and sort of teaser, which does feel fine. like something Barry would do. Yeah, yeah, but she looks like because even her line of dialogue, that's not what I was thinking, and it just it sounds so cold and like I'm like, and, and what she, is this? She looks, so, she looks so sad in that art of, of her walking away there. It's funny for a for the previous page talks a lot about them having chemistry, and I felt none of it in this page. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was just all gone, and it, like this just totally feels like something's wrong. Like th th I don't know, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's just maybe right down to the right ear here, not really having a beat for how they're supposed to talk, or even have an understanding of where they're supposed to be in the relationship I, at this I, point. I feel uh, like, and and uh, as far as I'm aware, <clears throat> this writer is relatively new to comics we've mm -hmm. never encountered before. 
this is something that okay you know i can forgive people not having voices right or even structure you know not having right when they first you know enter the craft that's something they'll pick up over time but this is something the editors should have come back to him and been like look you know they're in a bit of a better place than this we should rewrite this scene and and you know be more appropriate for where they are in their relationship that's that's what editorial's job's supposed to be and I know we praised them earlier with the, the handling of the, the metal event and you know, the timings and everything there. And and this here, I feel like, was there anyone at editorial looking over this? It's a fill-in arc, so maybe no one's paying attention. No one cares. <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> They're just not looking. Uh, Flash goes to fight Alchemy. Uh, Alchemy reveals that he knows Barry's name, so Barry speeds off to Iris, because if, he, if, they know who, if he knows who Barry is, then he knows who Iris is. So she has to be protected, takes them to the family cabin. And then it gets kind of weird. It turns out that all the previous, like, alchemies who have all had the stone, essentially all kind of reside, like, in them. And the, all this evil stuff that alchemy's doing isn't really the alchemy that the Barry knows. It's kind of like the evilness of all these previous, like, philosopher stone holders kind of, you know, influencing them and coming through and their personality taking over. Uh, so, you know, the alchemy as he knows him isn't actually, I mean, he's, he's a bad guy, but he's not as downright vicious yeah. as and these, all these old guys. I, I think another thing I do need to critique here is at this point, the issue is I felt the art shift. Sure. Because um, it shifts as soon as he's he's grabbing Iris and running around the city, and then the next page is at, uh, you know, the, the, the house in Nebraska where, the, where he takes her to. Oh, I and saw- it's such a clear shift. Something on the writing, I, I I appreciate. I actually liked well enough the point that it makes earlier on, where Iris points out there's a mistake in the grammar because it's philosopher stone with the apostrophe after the s instead of before the s. I felt like the writing was very clunky and that it kind of repeated at a couple the of exact times. Same point. Yeah. Where when Barry said it later, it just sounded really clunky. It's like wait, s apostrophe means it's plural. But apostrophe S means it's one philosopher's stone. And I'm like, sure, there's a, there's a more succinct way of like getting it's, that point across. <laughs> I, I agree. I think the problem is it's as he's running around and he goes, oh, then something dawns on me. Something Iris pointed out earlier, which is only now starting to register. And then it goes into the whole, like, yeah, because, it, pretty much word for word what she said earlier. Because she said it earlier, all Barry had to say in his, his narration is, oh, I just realized something Iris said earlier. Uh, the way philosophers is written means that it's multiple philosophers, and that'd be it. Like he could just sort of like sum it up by saying what it means, rather than yeah. actually explaining the the logic of the grammar. It, it just, uh, yeah, just yeah, clunky. just just referring back to what he what we'd already read is fine, especially when it's in the same issue and not that long before. It was like four pages, something like that. It wasn't exactly, at all. yeah. Uh, turns out Trickster was also uh, the, uh, the Trickster apparently implanted little cameras in Barry's pupils. And that's how they know what he's doing. They're watching everything. That's why they know they're at this cabin. I don't know quite how they got to the cabin that fast, but whatever. I don't know. Philosopher's Stone stuff. Alchemy stands up and there's fire around him. He's like, ah, I'm all powerful. To be continued. <laughs> the usual. Yeah. Uh, this is this thing where I'll finish this now because I don't want a gap and there's, there's only one left. I was going to say, there is only one left, right? But I, I I almost didn't read this one. I was kind of like, you know, I'm squeezing stuff. I want to do a Patreon book. And I'm like, oh, you know, I could just skip that. But I was like, oh, there's only two left. I may as well. I'll be, I'll be honest. I nearly didn't read this as well. I was like, oh, I suppose there's only two left. And it is a light week. Yeah. If, so, if this had been on a busier week, I probably wouldn't have bothered. But now there's only one left. So we might as well finish and see how it... <laughs> see if we've got any more structural complaints or weird leaps of logic. Yeah. What are you reading that? 
4.5. Yeah, I mean, it's readable. I'll go with a straight 5. I'll just put it down the middle. But, but, you know, much worse can be had, as much as I have complained about enough stuff. Um, okay, so... Hogman, issue 29. Robert Vendetti writing for Mando Pissarin on the art. Take it away. Yes, it's nice to finally get to be positive this week, because I feel like I've been very middling on, like, all the books. Well, you, um, are, you are a negative, Nancy. He's... Hey, hey, I'm not going to be on this issue. This issue is fantastic. Um, and it sucks that it's the last issue. This is this is the final issue of Vendetti's Hogman. It is, it's over, ready to be collected in a glorious omnibus in about three or four years' time, which you should all pick up if you haven't been reading this. Uh, yeah, so it does pick up right where we left off uh, on the last issue, where they're fighting Hathset. Um, he, uh, Carter, like, stabbed himself with Hathset's magic curse dagger. Uh, that was like, the big cliffhanger, that he's dying from the dagger. And, and then all of a sudden, he's he's not dying. Um, you know, Chera jumps in and starts fighting him. You know, Hathset, you know, and all the zombies. She's angry that he's dying. And, and then it gets to a while, and Hathset just doesn't understand why he's not dying like this you know this this dagger is cursed by whatever anubis has cursed it i don't know uh and it should be killing him it's deep enough of a wound yet somehow he's not and you know he, he summons his he pulls it out he summons his mace towards him and he, he does something that the mace lights up it glows and he actually like brings the two like the, the the mace and the dagger uh, together, and they kind of have a reaction, and they like explode, and you know they're they're on this train, and you know the the whole train just is in pieces. There's like, oh, twelve or fifteen different cars all just scattered all over, uh, and it's right before it got on this big bridge. One of the one of the train cars did kind of in the explosion, kind of jump forward and take out a chunk of the bridge in the middle. Uh, visually very impressive. And it's uh, it's and when we cut away and we see, it's actually like melted the dagger. The the dagger is just the hilt and a tiny little bit left. It's it's basically destroyed, and that's it. And none of them quite understand what's going on. But it's like no, you know, they've accepted that they can die now, and that's okay. But they, you know, as uh, as Shira puts out one point, she doesn't want to live without Carter, and. That's why they're they're still fighting for each other still, even even though they've accepted that they will die and they don't they won't reincarnate anymore. And as they're doing this, you know, have to say, you know, stuff happens. You know, he goes on the bridge and it all collapses with the more train cars. You know, and he falls into nothingness. And they're like, eh, don't worry about it. He's dead. He'll be back in in in, in another body in another life, but we'll worry about it then. And uh, and that's kind of the end of the main story. Is is you know they patch up and they fly on home and it's a big double page splash of them flying off and this is kind of where it leads into the epilogue uh which is one of the the highlights of this entire run is this uh five or six page epilogue that we've got here and it it starts it brings back the journal entries that same uh narration text boxes that we've been having since the start of the run so it's this really neatly bookends it and it's like oh that was the last we saw of hasta but not hatset spirit you know, he returned in various incarnations. Sometimes we fought him, sometimes we killed him, sometimes he got away. Um, but they were never the like, oh, they were never as big a fight as that. 
Uh, and like, you know, after that train ride, we, we, you know, we moved on, you know, we, we, we fought, we joined old enemies, uh, old, we joined old friends to fight old enemies. And you see them like, you know, fighting with the JSA. And then, you know, we met new friends and fought new enemies and it's, they're fighting with the, they're with the Green Lantern Corps and one of the guardians. And then they're like, oh, we had adventures in other realities that I couldn't explain at all. And it's very, uh, I don't know. The, the, one, the, way, the way I want to describe it is Mike Allred esque as a panel. Um, if, if that means anything to you, yeah, uh, I know Hazard looks like. Yeah, that's kind of the way I want to describe it. Um, and it's just one panel, and then we cut to old man Carter, like old old man, like you know, long gray hair, beard, and he's wearing like these hawk robes. Uh, he's oh, I'm old now by anyone's measure, and you know. It, you know, you, you never forgive yourself for what you've done, not even after God says you've atoned, but, you know, you can still be better. You know, I've been blessed with all these lives. But then, you know, Shaira comes in. She's still here. The two of them are still kicking around. She's in, like, full battle gear, regalia, with a big staff. So, oh, isn't it your turn to cook dinner? And they're like, oh, she actually teaches the young generations now. Um, that's that's what she does. They're not fighting. And, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, all these things that we've seen together, It's it's great that we're still together and uh you know after all the time and space every millennium and world you know these are the legacies that matter and it cuts to the final page and it's earth in the 40th century and they're still there uh teaching the young generation so that was their their loophole is how uh no they don't reincarnate anymore but they are essentially immortal in this one last life together um they are still aging very very slowly it seems because they are uh, they look like they're in like their 80s or 90s here like they're, they're old um, but they're still, still kicking, still getting stuff done, uh, writing the journals, training the youth, um, and they've lived through everything, all, all the history of Earth to this point now, it seems, uh, which is a, a, a wonderful new status quo to leave Hawkman in, uh, that we, we're not doing reincarnations anymore, uh, at least unless, until a writer decides to change that, of course, which I, I would expect this to last forever because that's the nature of comics, right? But we are doing uh, immortality, and that's kind of why the knife at the start of the issue, the Cursed Blade, didn't kill him, because they are seemingly immortal now. Um, and this is a, a great status quo to go forward, and, and anyone can revisit this. And, and, and leaving this with the, you know, Carter as the historian and the journals means we've got a really neat framing device for any miniseries they want to tell set at any point in history between you know this what book in the, the the 1940s or wherever we are to the 40th century we can kind of just tell, pick a pick a journal and oh Carter told this story you know and read read through the journal with the narration boxes and and go through it it's it's such an easy place to to pick up and run with um and that leaves me excited for the future of uh you know hawkman and, and maybe we will get some minis down the line even if we don't get another ongoing for a while i, I feel like a mini might sell okay um, but, you know, this is a really great issue. It, it, it completely bookends the run. It does exactly what a final issue should. Uh, leaves it in a nice, exciting new status quo uh, in, the, in the sense that we can, sure, we can just pick up and do them in the JSA. We can have them in the modern day with the, the Justice League. Or we can pick any period in history slash future from then onwards and just tell a journal story. Or we can do one of the previous lives as a journal story still as well if we want to just you know play with if we still want to do Thanagarian Hawkman stories or if they want to do 
I don't know, the, the Kryptonian Hawkman stories, for example, like they've got all this free reign. It, it does feel like it's truly unified Hawkman in a way that going forward we can just play with whatever we want uh, in a really exciting way and not worry about it. For the first time, we, we won't need to pick up a Hawkman book and go, okay, what origin are they doing? How are they playing with it? It's, it's sorted. It's solidified. It's, this is it. Play with whatever you want. Uh, and you, you don't need to explain it anymore. Uh, which has me very excited. Um, it's a great issue overall. Sarin uh, uh, doesn't have as much to show off uh, as he has done in previous issues, but the, you know the fight scene at the start's really solid. The the little pages, you know, with like the, the JSA, for example, really nice to see. Uh, yeah, it's like a it's like a nine. This issue, it's great. Um, wonderful run. Pro- probably the best Hawkman run in existence. <laughs> okay. Is there a lot of competition for that? Uh, people were quite fond of the Jeff Johns run. Mm, I suppose. Is there another one? I mean, there's probably some older ones that I'm not as familiar with that people probably like if they like the, you know, the older stuff. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I just have never really heard anyone talk about much in the way of Hawkman no. runs before. Never no, Uh, Alright, cool, cool, cool. Uh, so that'll take me on to American Vampire issue 13. And to explain why, uh, every month on patreon.com slash mailfuzztv, uh, patrons at the $30 tier, which is the tier where you can make myself or Connor, depending on which one you pick, um, or you can get a combo of the both, I suppose, but you can make myself or Connor read a book once per month, and I am doing American Vampire issue 13 today for that reason. Um, so this is the start of the next arc, because the, the third, third trade is kind of weird that it starts off with that sort of one-shot issue that I did last time. Uh, but this is the start of the next proper arc, uh, which is back to Henry and Pearl, and then being at the focus, which is good, and does feel like we're kind of building to kind of you know the, the better end. It's called Ghost War, and it's it starts off. It does that that traditional thing of like something f- from a little bit later in the timeline, uh, where well actually that's that true. It starts off with like almost like a recap kind of page, uh, where uh, Hob, the head of the the vassals of the Morning Stars, explaining kind of the situation. There's vampires, uh, but an American vampire was created, and then he started another one. Um, and our mission is to always kill vampires, blah blah. Uh, but it says it does that thing where it's set in 1943 on a small island off the coast of Japan, and we have Henry writing a letter to Pearl, basically saying goodbye and explaining how bad things have gone. He's he's sure he's going to die. And mentioned Skinner Sweet is even involved in some way. And you're thinking, okay, is he in the war? Like, you know, what's what's going on here exactly? Um But it flashes back to a month previously, and we find out that they were living in Hawaii, and when the war started, they basically they wanted to get involved, even though they were trying to stay off grid. And he was given a position sort of helping, you know, the, the base and that. He was you know, he was considered a little bit too old to actually go and, you know, fight in the traditional sense. And we have this sweet moment between them where Pearl's trying to, you know, seduce him in the morning, but he, he kind of just makes an excuse, uh, saying that he's too busy. Uh, and the letter, sort of narration kind of comes in and sort of talks about how he regrets that morning and how he should have stayed. But we get this sense throughout the issue that Henry's kind of living with some pent-up rage, that he's kind of got this anger in him. Perhaps because he's growing old and Pearl isn't, and he's feeling more and more separate from her. And he gets into fight with some of the younger soldiers who beat him up and joke about him breaking a hip. And stuff like that and he's he's essentially it's like he's on a bit of a warpath looking for punishment and that's when Hobbs shows up and 
essentially offers him a, a place on a, a squad that he's sending because this island, which is now seen as like a really valuable base for the American troops, actually has a vampire nest on it. So their mission, uh, impersonating part of the actual military, but it's obviously a Morning Stars uh, squad, is to go in and essentially kill all the vampires so that the uh, the military can do what they're supposed to be doing without any threat of vampire. And I, I actually really like this from a mythology standpoint. This idea that they're unbeknownst to the actual sort of system, they're going in and trying to make everything run smoothly by making sure vampires that they know about don't interfere with the natural order of things. Um, that's a really fun idea to that, a fun element to that. But he's like, hey, you've been looking for a fight. You're, so, we, you know, we we made this deal because you told us the weakness of the American vampire, and we made a deal to keep you and Pearl off the, you know, off the grid, off the off the books. Unfortunately, you're making that difficult by enlisting in the, in the military. It, it tends to put you on the map a little bit. But you've been looking for this fight. You might as well direct it somewhere useful, and it gives them this purpose. And you know, maybe that's part of what Henry's been missing is the idea of a purpose, but. Uh, Pearl, when he tells her about this, basically reveals that when they first enlisted, and she wasn't sure if he was going to be sent off away, and it was just kind of lucky that they got to sort of stay back and sort of be in Hawaii, but she reveals that she actually drained some of her blood and put it in a vial, and the idea being that if he's in a situation, in a, in a, a war-type situation, that he could drink this and become a vampire at any point. Like, he's got that choice. And she gives it to him. Uh, and... You know, he does notably call that they are, you know, Albuquerque is going out of his way to make sure he looks a bit older now. Because it has been, you know, about 20 years since they met. Well, actually, it's not quite as long as that. But it's, you know, you know they were, it was in the, the, the 20s when they met, probably the late 20s, now it's the early 40s, so it's maybe about 15. And she's not aged a day, he is aging. And notably, you know, because now he's in his late 40s or whatever he might be at. And... I think one of the things I love about the art in this issue specifically is that it has a different tone because after this, this beautiful late night on the beach kiss after she's given him this veil and she's crying from her eyes because he's going off to do this and you've got this, this you know, big splash panel of them with the moonlight behind them. You turn the page and it, it, it's this misty docks at Pearl Harbor, the, the, the big ship. All the colours are very muted, browns and greys and greens. And it, it really feels atmospheric. It's kind of like the start of a horror movie when they go on the ship to some place dangerous. You know, it feels like... I, this didn't even have as much atmosphere as this, but you know, it's kind of like the opening of, say, King Kong when they're all getting the ship to go to the island or something like that, but a bit more just eerie. A bit more... The, the tone's just a bit more dark. And he's introduced to the squad that he's going with, this this team of Morningstar uh, troops that are all specialists in some ways. Uh, but he goes with them. Um... But once he's on the boat, a couple of things happen to end the issue. Uh, Pearl gets a letter saying, "My, you know, my girl Pearl," and it's all romantic. So, oh, he's left me a note, uh, but it's actually from Skinner saying that uh, because this is the, the the key thing is that Henry never told her who the mission was for. He never told her that he was going on a mission to fight vampires. He just said that he was in a platoon for for a job for you know, something that was normal. He never actually said that that's who he was fighting for or he was going to fight vampires. And Skinner sends a letter here saying, he's lying to you, but I'm going to punish him for both of us. Love Skinner, sweet. So she's in shock at this. And then it's just at that moment in the last page that Skinner is revealed to be on the squad. Or 
he's at least on the boat and and like gear that looks like he's on the squad. Uh, he's on the cover, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's the the cliffhanger. So it's a really, I, I, this is a really solid issue. Like, I, I mean, I, I like the elements of the last issue, but this one, it really builds this idea of where is Skinner Sweet and the dread of him because the the opening couple of pages refers to him being involved, but then it kind of the issue goes without his presence, and you're kind of waiting for it. But you also have this idea, because the issue starts with him, with Henry on the island writing to Pearl because he thinks he's going to die, it sets up this this tone, this mood of impending doom. And then, you know, we have the stuff with him and Pearl, and it's fine, and it feels like he's a bit agitated, there's stuff going on. But because we know where it's kind of leading to, and it's kind of what the effect you're supposed to have when you have this kind of starting at the end and flashing back, is that when it does get to that that full page spread of the boat, this two page spread of the boat in the mist and him like loading them to the boat, it does kind of feel like he's he's going off to die. It feels like yeah, like there may not be any coming back from this, and it's added to a lot a from the R, but b because of that opening, because like it sets us up thinking that he's not coming back. No, I don't remember the end of this arc. I don't remember if he does come back from this, but it definitely doesn't feel like he is at this point in the story. It wants to play like it's not. Uh, yeah. Is it back to Albuquerque in the art now? Yeah, Albuquerque's back in the art, yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know if you'd said that or not already. I won't pay attention, to be honest. Um, but that probably helps with the tone, right? <clears throat> oh, for sure. Um, but, it, you know, it, ha- it has a, a, a very distinct atmosphere, this one. Uh, very different feeling. And it's been very... Because even though it's Albuquerque again, it feels very different to... The first arc, which was all the glitz of Hollywood, but with these really dark vampire creatures kind of in silhouette constantly, like, you know, being these monsters and the, the big fangs, lots of blood. There's not a lot of blood in this. It's all eerie. It's all more low beat. It's a lot more down, uh, you know, low key and just kind of uh, brooding, I suppose, in tone. Um, and then even the second arc, which was, you know, again, it was in Vegas. It was all mob stuff. It was all like... The book's done a really good job, despite the fact that we're coming back to, you know, a relative small group of revolving characters. It's done a very good job of making each arc feel like it's a different genre, almost. Or at the very least, a very different setting, if not a different genre. But even this, the idea that we're doing, like, a... Almost like an Aliens Colonial Marines thing, where we're like, okay, we've got a squad and we're going to go and hunt a, you know, a nest of vampires. Like, even that is a very distinct visual, or a storytelling, uh like setting that the book's not done yet mm. you know it's done the old western kind of thing with the backstory it's done the uh even again western again with the whole crane boss stuff but a more sort of traditional western sort of thing with the the various bosses in the town you know it's, it's done these different things so now you're starting to move into war stories essentially kind of yeah kind of yeah so now, I'm looking forward to more of this, because I know the many that comes after this arc is also very war set. Which, um, which one's that? I can't remember the titles, which ones were what. a couple of Survival of the First as well. That may be the first one, yeah, maybe that one. But uh, So I, I think the, the the mood from this and the impending doom is kind of the, the two things that really stuck out to me in this one. And it's kind of what you want from a horror comic, I guess, more than anything. But it's uh, no, a really good issue. So a uh, solid 8.5. Uh, for me on this one so that's american vampire 13 uh, but that'll take us on to the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week favorite panel slash moment favorite art favorite cover and top five books of which we have and we will count justice league in this i think just for the since we did it in the show today even though it was sure. last week's book uh so uh this panel slash moment uh for me that would be the 
final page of of Hawkman, that reveal of where and when they are, and just the implications of that, uh, that that made me pop. It's pretty good. I hear them. I kind of want to pick some stuff from Punchline because I think that from a a storytelling perspective, it's the most interesting thing this week. But I'm going to have to go with Bruce Saint Far. <laughs> How old are you? It was, it was. I don't know. I think that's what made it funny, though. It was. I just that that's what Lobo thinks a kid just says far, you know, unprompted. Like it probably was, on, yeah. Uh, just just really made me laugh. So, yeah, that's my pick. Uh, cover of the week. Uh, do you know what? I was looking through them. The Superman variant uh, is quite nice. That's uh, Tony Daniel. Uh, it's pretty nice. I went to look at all the punchline variants, and there was about 30 of them, and went, nah, I'm good. I'll, I, I'm not even going to bother. I was skimming them whilst uh, you were talking about Hawkman, so I do have some thoughts on a couple of them. I, 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 I mean, I, I, the cho- choices I had were basically the Wonder Woman variant, which is very pretty. Uh, I haven't looked at the Wonder Woman one. Why did I not see the Wonder Woman one? Uh, the Hawkman variant, I think, is kind of nice. Uh, but I think I'll go with one of the punchline ones. I think I'm going to go with the Shannon Mayer variant, uh, which is just pretty. <laughs> it's, just, it's got the you lightning which, behind her. Which, um, the lightning. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see it. I'm looking. Just, oh, yeah. That, that's quite nice. That's pretty nice. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few solid ones in there. There's a lot of variants for it. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's my pick overall. Uh, but I wanted to mention those other ones. I think for me, it ultimately comes down to either that one or a variant, which I'm assuming is a Middleton one. It looks it looks Middleton esque. Yeah, it is. Uh, or the Hawkman main cover, um, that Yannin cover is is real nice. Uh, which I think I think I'm going to give it to Hawkman. And I will admit, part of that is that it's I'm not going to get to choose Hawkman again after this, and there will absolutely be more Middleton variants in the future that I will mm-hmm. absolutely pick because I'm a sucker for them. Uh, so yeah, I'll go with Hawkman. All right, best art. That's kind of a tough one. Um, it's it's either Hawkman or Wonder Woman, I think, for me. Uh, I think I'll go with uh, with Hawkman. It's a bit more expressive. Yeah, uh, Wonder Woman's good. Punchline's not bad. I don't have an obvious pick for this. To be. No, honestly, I didn't either. It's not like a, there's no no standout art art this week, even though there's a lot of pretty good art. If I could pick American Vampire, I would, but I <laughs> probably yeah. probably Superman actually. Ivan Reese. Oh, Ivan Reese is pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, again, like, I don't personally consider Ivan Reese to be a standout artist, but I think he's a very good artist, and I think that's that's kind of where I'm falling on a lot of art this week is there's a lot mm. of pretty good uh, and, and maybe Ivan Reese would fall into very good admittedly you know which is slightly above but in the same kind of ballpark I don't, I don't think there's any art this week that would really disappointed me that was really bad I don't have any strong feelings on it though so it's more of just a gut feeling than anything else uh, what's your top five uh, well unsurprisingly Hawkman is, is number one with quite a gaping chasm after that let's be honest uh, it's probably Justice League after that, and then, then the 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 death metal thing, uh, whatever that was, Infinite Hour Extreme, uh, <laughs> and then then Wonder Woman, and then Flash, I guess. Uh, assuming I need that many. 
Yeah, my number one's probably Punchline. It's just the most interesting. It's, it's a weird one. For all in its faults, because I, I, f- I feel like from its ideas and what it's doing, I probably quite like its ideas more than I do some of the books I did actually finish. Yeah, Punchline at number one, number two. Yeah, probably Justice League, number three. Didn't, didn't you give Superman a seven? Didn't I give Justice League a seven? Maybe you did. I thought you gave it a little bit lower. Fair enough. I think you gave it a 6.5. Maybe I'm misremembering. Just, just roll with it. <laughs> just roll okay, with fine. it. Uh, punchline, then Justice League. And then... Yeah, Superman, Infinite Hour Extreme, Wonder Woman. Was that five? Yes. Okay. Yes, I read six, and Flash was the only one I didn't mention, which, quite rarely. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the, the picks uh, of the week, which means I'll tell you what's coming next week from the Detective Comics comics. Uh, that is Batman 103, Justice League 57, Nightwing 76, Dark Knight's Death Metal issue 5, so the next main chapter, which is exciting. exciting. Uh, Aquaman 65. Is that the final issue of that, or is there one more after? I can't remember. Because I, I can't uh, remember if the, if the last one's tying into Winter's End. Endless uh, Winter, whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, Teen Titans 47, Catwoman 27, Rorschach number 2, Joker Harley Criminal Sanity number six. Uh, and that's basically it. So, uh, yeah. So I, I will give uh, DC a little bit of credit in, in, for the, the smallest possible things, but I do like is because uh, I know it's on Hawkman uh, this week and it's also on the Teen Titans next week. They slap a big final issue thing on the cover to make it very clear. Uh, I guess that's a thing they're doing now. Um, so, no mistaking it. Stuff like that. Okay. There you go. That's what's coming next week. Uh, I'll tell you right now about our Patreon producers and thank them because they are great. Uh, so thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palisades, David Short, Bored Now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, Brett Williams, and David Brown. They are our Patreon producers for the month, which means they are $20 or more on patreon.com slash TV. Uh, which you can go and check yourself. Uh, you can support us over there for as little as $1 per month. And that is a huge help. It is more than we would make if you watched the ads on everything we put on Mailfuzz TV, not just comments from the multiverse every month on YouTube. Uh, but if you can't give us money, that's cool too. You can also hit the like button. Liking is super important and helps us out a lot because it leads us to more audience members. We get in front of more eyes because of the old dreaded YouTube algorithm. Um, similar idea for rating the podcast on iTunes, uh, like five stars and giving it a review. A similar thing. We appear on top list. We get recommended more often. So please do any of those things because uh, they're all very helpful. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast uh, for random updates and various other things um, and to ask questions and, and whatnot. Uh, email us mftvquestions at gmail.com uh, if you want to say there's a big question that we can use on a question episode, uh, which won't be next week, but, you know, can be used for any time. Um, and that's pretty much everything I have to tell you, I think, uh, unless something's escaping my mind, but... Uh, otherwise, that has been episode 227 of Comics from the Multiverse. Uh, 
Can you believe it? We're a quarter of the way into the, uh, the next hundred already. <sighs> I know. It'll be 300 before we know it. So I, I, I kind of had a, a moment the other day where I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's November. It's like, it's like mid-November already. What happened mm. to this year? And then I'm like, oh yeah, that happened to this year. Yeah, it's been a weird one. Um, I made an appointment for an eye test uh, yesterday. And I'd been meaning to do it for a little while and just kept kind of forgetting. And I'm annoyed that I was forgetting because when I went to set it up, like it's literally a month wait time because of like oh, boy, yeah. how spread I, out the appointments are. I haven't had an eye test since before I left home. So, I don't know, we're looking at seven years, at least eight, eight years, maybe minimum. Yeah, probably recommend it. There's a lot of... I, I probably should, but you have to pay for them. Well, you have to pay for them. I don't. <laughs> well, screw you. Scotland's Scotland's free healthcare is even better than England's free. Healthcare. No, uh, it, it is in a couple of ways as well. I think with prescriptions, you pay less than we do. They're free. Uh, all of them. Yeah, we see ours are a flat fee, but there are, there are some times where it's cheaper to not use your prescription and just order the thing off the shelf. That said, um, I am paying for the OCT scan, which was an optional thing, but it's highly recommended if you're over 25. It's an OCT scan. It's an extra little scan thing they do when you go for an eye test, but it detects uh, a couple of things. It takes like a photo of the back of your eye, and it's good because it can detect if you've got a couple of different conditions and can actually be the early warning sign of like a tumor or things like that. So it's just a good idea to do it when you go for an eye test. To be honest, Paige keeps telling me I should go get an eye test. I'm like, you don't want to pay for it. And like once a year or so, we get like a, a leaflet through the door going, hey, come to this particular Specsavers and we'll give you a free eye test. And the last one came about three weeks before we went into lockdown. I was like, <laughs> okay, fine, I'll go do it this time. And and then everything happened. So yeah, maybe next yeah. year. So I paid a little bit for that extra thing, but it's not much. So there you go. Everyone's updated on the, the state of my, my eye care. Uh, There we go. So, expect some new glasses, probably. Well, the pencil. Maybe they may take longer to fulfill the orders now, so maybe it won't be too quick. Usually, it's only a couple of days after you go for a test. Maybe it'll be longer now. But um, I'd have thought the the production and manufacturing side of things is still going pretty smoothly. So you yeah, might be okay on that side. It's just getting into the appointment that might take a while. Yeah, you would think. But yeah. All right. So uh, there you go. That's the show. That's 227. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.